It's time for Twit This Week in Tech. Paris Martineau's here from the Information Samables, Sam at our car guy, and from the Tech Meme Ride Home podcast, it's Brian McCullough. Lots to talk about. Amazon buys MGM Studios, which doesn't just include James Bond. It also includes The Apprentice. What is Jeff Bezos going to do with that? Twitter confirms its plans for a paid monthly subscription. Sam takes a look at the new F-150 electric vehicle. Who's going to buy that? And Charlie bit my finger. No longer on YouTube, but somebody's a lot richer. It's all coming up next on Twit. Podcasts you love. From people you trust. This is Twit. This is Twit, This Week in Tech, episode 825, recorded Sunday, May 30th, 2021. Doing tweets. This Week in Tech is brought to you by Indeed. Get started right now with a free $75 sponsored job credit to upgrade your job post at Indeed.com slash Twit. Offer valid through June 30th. And by Melissa. Like expired milk, 30% of your customers' data goes bad every year. And that's money down the drain. Visit Melissa's developer portal for free access to data quality APIs, demos, and code samples. Freshen up your sour data today with 1,000 records cleaned for free at melissa.com slash twit. And by Podium. Find out how Podium can help your business reach more customers. Get started free today at podium.com slash twit. Time for Twit This Week in Tech, the show where we cover the week's tech news with fun people from all around the techiverse. Sam Ebel, Sam is back with us. He is, of course, my car, my official car guy, principal researcher, guidehouse insights, podcaster, wheel bearings, dot media, with our old friend Roberto Baldwin, which is nice. He's your new host. That's and great. Nicole Wakeland. And Nicole Wakeland. And uh, you talk about cars. In fact, you just did it every week. You just did it today. Yep. This is his third this morning. podcast of the day, folks. <laughs> He's a marathoner. Thanks for being here, Sam. It's great to have you. My also, pleasure. Also joining us from the information, the wonderful Paris Martineau and her new digs in beautiful downtown Brooklyn. <laughs> <laughs> Happy to be here. Nice to see you. How's everything going? Everything's going good. Are people it's walking around Brooklyn. without masks and stuff like that these days? I mean, outside, yeah, certainly. Everybody's very respectful in places that require masks. Yeah. I've indoor dined for the first time today. Woo! Vaccinated, of course. How really was that? Fun. How was that? Were there good? <laughs> yeah, there were people. Uh, I had a breakfast burrito. It wow! Was great. Isn't it funny the little things that become so important after a year locked up inside? It's kind of I know. amazing. We went, we went to it was the like first... I sat at a table. Yes. Lisa and I did that for the first time yesterday. And it was like, wow, this is interesting. It's a little scary. but My wife and I definitely. did it two weeks ago. The first time in like 15 months. And yeah, it was definitely weird. Things seem to be coming back, which is good. Everybody get your vaccine so we can keep it that way. Let's, let's all do that. Uh, Brian McCullough is also here from the Tech Meme Ride Home podcast, internet historian. Hi, Brian. Good to see you. 
Good to see you, Leo. Yeah, um, I uh, the last year or so when I would come in here to do these shows, I would bike over because I didn't take the train for a year. Speaking of things feeling weird is when I started taking the train again because you really feel like you're like, yeah. should I be down here? Yeah, yeah, I'm underground. It's probably pretty well <laughs> ventilated. I, I you know, I, I figured that now. Like now that I've been doing it for weeks, I'm like, this was probably not as dangerous as I was thinking all this time. Yeah, you know, the doors open and you know everything <laughs> whooshes out. Every, yeah, the fine know, smell of urine pours yeah, in. Yeah, the it's New York great. Times <laughs> had some animation showing how the train like cycles the air in and Every out. Every twenty minutes or something. Yeah, or two yeah. minutes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I saw that. It, that's yeah, kind of like just, just the train moving air through the in. Yeah, why does it smell so bad? <laughs> they say they shut it down every night to clean. They do. No. They hose it down and everything. I don't think the subway's never been quite so clean. So you used to ride your bike over the Brooklyn Bridge. No, 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 because I, I live in uh, Park Slope, so um, it was just from one side of Brooklyn to the other. But also, um, I, I do the electric um, uh, city bikes. So mm-hmm. it's actually oh, that's cool. Uh, you don't even own a bike; you just pick one yeah. up on the road, and it's an exceedingly pleasant commute because once you get across Gowanus and whatever, the whole rest of the way is just along the waterfront, right on the East River. So oh, you've pretty. got the you know skyline, and it's right protected, right? Exactly right. That's my whole thing is I, I try to I find all these routes where it's least on the road as possible. Right. Right. How nice. Are there a lot of protected bike lanes in, in Brooklyn and in Manhattan? There's one all along Prospect Park. Oh, There's one nice. all along the waterfront here. Um, they don't really connect well enough. Like that's what they really should plan out. So you could go you should, everywhere. Yeah. Right. There's yeah. always like a gap somewhere where it's like, okay, I'm on Vanderbilt and I've got to deal with the buses or whatever. But Yikes. as long as you can minimize <laughs> Yeah. And it's that, like, you know. do I take the bus lane down? No. Right. Yeah. Exactly. Do I take yeah. the fast yeah. moving what, car? What do I count? How do I, how do I count? <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's funny because uh, here in Petaluma, you take your life in your hands to get on a bike. There's no... <laughs> There's no safe spots, no havens in the countryside. Uh, what should we start with? Amazon buys MGM for $8.5 billion. They got James that was Bond. A, uh, information scoop. Yes, I will give you full credit. Uh, so, A, it has to get by regulation, regulators, right? Which seems like it might be a little challenging. They make the content. They distribute the content. Should they be allowed to do both? But there is an interesting sidebar to this. Not only uh, they didn't get a lot of the musicals, but they did get James Bond. But there's also MGM TV, which owns, besides The Handmaid's Tale and Fargo, The Apprentice. And apparently owns all the tapes of The Apprentice. So there has now been some spec... Oh, There's now been some speculation if Jeff Bezos, who's kind of (laughs) been the hereditary enemy of a man named Donald Trump, might do something with those uh, those videos in the vaults. He would never do anything. He's sending things to space. He's too busy of a man. I hope he's too busy. You know, it's. There may be stuff that's somewhat incriminating. Who knows? But it doesn't matter because if you have all the behind-the-scenes material of anything, you can make anybody look like an idiot. Trust me, I know. Mm. So, <laughs> so I, I wouldn't credit anything you saw out of this. There's always been this thought that, you know, I bet they edited out all the parts where the Donald was screaming at people and using racial epithets. And maybe they did. 
But even if they didn't, you could still make him look like a fool. So I don't know. I, yeah, I hope Jeff's a little more busy than that. But we shall see. Do you think... Um, a- sorry, go ahead. Oh, I was just saying he's stepping down as CEO of Amazon. That's right. And, um, That's the other big July story. July 5th. So. He announced it. Andy Jassy will take over July 5th. But see, so that leaves th- him some extra time to go through the tapes. It's well, true. And <laughs> doesn't it feel to you like Jeff, at least in recent years, is more interested in the Hollywood stuff anyway? Like he, I, I feel like handing things over to Jesse is the day to day, so that he can continue the fun, his things. burgeoning his 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 Hollywood mogul lifestyle. You know. Yeah, well, his uh, his uh, new girlfriend is uh, a TV star. I mean, it does seem like he's She's kind a of helicopter pilot. He's taken back to uh, the skies again in helicopters, despite uh, being in that terrible accident in the early two thousands where he almost died in one. Oh, uh, he's got get, a lot of things in his plate. You'll never get me in a helicopter. Helicopter, though, I have to say, it's generally rich people that die in helicopter accidents. I'm just noticing. So I'm not wealthy <laughs> enough to take a helicopter anywhere. <laughs> Do they still offer, for a while, Uber was offering helicopter rides to the Manhattan from the airport. Okay, wait, hold on. This is, I know this is local story again, but um, it is currently cheaper to take, I think it's Blade or whatever, the, the non-Uber one, from JFK, take the, the, their helicopter from JFK to Manhattan than it is to take an Uber from JFK to Manhattan because all of the Uber surge pricing has been insane lately. Wow. That's Uber yeah, prices. They've lost I'm, a I lot wonder- of drivers. Yeah, they've lost a lot of drivers and they've been raising prices because they need to someday maybe make money. And um, at least in Brooklyn and New York, it is like 30 bucks to go a couple of miles. Is that the same where you guys live? Is it the same Petaluma? 30 bucks on an Uber? Yeah. No. Let's go a couple miles. No, I don't think so. No. That's that surge I, I pricing. I have been in one for a year and a half, so I don't know. Mm. My daughter spends about a thousand bucks a month on Lyft. I don't know if that's germane <laughs> or, or not. Yeah, I think Lyft <laughs> is probably cheaper than your car insurance. So. It was that is exactly why she takes Lyft because I'm not buying her another car and paying for the car insurance. So uh, she she likes Lyft. Uh, I guess if you wear a mask, it's okay. I don't know. It makes me nervous. Yeah, taxis Windows are cheaper open, though. You know, aren't you taxis cheaper in New York though than Uber? Yeah, taxis are a lot cheaper yeah. now. I have downloaded a, taxi a, apps. And taxis, oh, yeah. taxi makes money. Uber loses money on every ride. So I don't understand how this all works. There's some new um, co-op thing that I just downloaded uh, recently. I mean, people have been saying this should happen for years. Co-op ride. I haven't had a chance to try it because, again, I haven't done an Uber or Lyft in a year or two. But um, I feel like, Paris, have you been in New York as long as I have? I feel like it took Uber such a long time to get popular here because taxis were always cheaper. Like, we didn't need it. Yeah, I think the the thing that eventually uh, tipped the needle is the convenience of being able to hail it anywhere or in different boroughs where maybe taxis weren't coming as often. But now it's kind of starting to tilt its way back a little bit. I mean, obviously, Uber and Lyft are still really dominant forms of transportation, but... The prices I've I've seen, I don't know, complaints on the Reddit New York City forums or from random people on Twitter, just that the prices for both of the apps have gone so high that people are going back to taxis. This is the New York Times from yesterday. Prepare to pay more for Uber and Lyft rides. Companies say they're charging extra because they don't have enough drivers to match the rebounding demand. So they lost drivers during pandemic? It, yeah, it I mean, I think a lot of people lot of didn't feel comfortable driving. Right. Um, yeah, and what and the surge is how much? I mean, uh, according to the Times, they're saying 
37% higher in March than it was a year ago. In April, the cost was up 40% over year over year. Some surges as much as 50%. Yeah, be- I, think, I think it's capped at, at 10 times whatever the base fare is. 10 times? Oh. Yeah. The, That's it a used thousand to be more. percent. Holy cow. It, it used to be more. But they a few years ago, they capped it at 10x. Um, I mean, most surges are not you know the full the maximum amount, but it's still pretty substantial. It can be re- really substantial, especially you know if it's during rush hour or uh, bad weather. You know, on a on a rainy day when people don't want to be standing outside waiting for a car, waiting, you know, trying to hail a cab. Uh, you know, they, the the uh, the surge prices for Uber and Lyft can be really high. So yeah, right is- now, for instance, uh, I'm in Brooklyn and to get a Uber to drive me three miles to one World Trade Center would be $30 for an wow. UberX, just wow. the basic one. Wow. You could probably walk it faster, too. Probably. <laughs> Not now, maybe, because of Memorial Day, but most of the time. So we, it's funny because this pandemic, the one bless, another blessing from the pandemic, we haven't had to talk about Uber and Lyft much in the last year. <laughs> I guess I guess we'll be talking about them again. What is, you know, in California they passed Prop Twenty Two, which said that you know these people are employees. I'm sure Uber is fighting that in court, but uh, I imagine coast to coast there's movements in that direction. Uber already loses something like forty uh, percent on every ride. Uh, because they have to pay the employees, the contract employees, uh, having to give them benefits too probably would make it even more expensive. I wonder if Uber is even tenable. Is, Sam, is Uber designed around self-driving vehicles, not around drivers? It was not originally. Um, you know, I mean, at, at when they started it in 2009, 2010, you know, whenever it really got kicked off in San Francisco, you know, the whole premise of self-driving vehicles was still so far off into the future. I mean, no, nobody was really seeing it at that point as a realistic near-term proposition. It wasn't until about 2014 or so after uh, Google started, you know, posting videos of their prototype vehicles running around and you know others started jumping into the space that you know that that was around the time that um travis kalanick came out and said you know this is an existential threat to our business but the problem for a company like uber or lyft is automated vehicles don't necessarily make their business any better because today you know they don't own any of those assets they don't own the vehicles they don't have to insure them or put fuel in them or maintain them they just they're just paying the drivers and you know if they if they try to have their own fleet of automated vehicles their own fleet of robo taxis now they've got all those assets you know they're going to be spending many billions of dollars a year on buying and maintaining and fueling vehicles um, and you know there's other kinds of costs. There's new costs that are associated with it. So just eliminating the cost of drivers does not necessarily get them to profitability. Uh, so, you know, I think, and, and this is why Uber sold off their ATG group, their advanced technology group, and Lyft sold off their level five group that was developing automated vehicles. And they're just going to partner with the companies that are developing this technology and the automakers and say, Bring your vehicles to our platform, just like drivers bring their vehicles to the platform today. And I'm not sure if the economics necessarily get any better for 
uh, for Uber and Lyft in, in that kind of scenario. Last quarter, Uber lost $108 million, but it would have been a lot more if they hadn't sold the advanced technology group for $1.6 billion. It would have been significantly larger. Uh, they've never made any money. You really have to, no. I mean, they're basically funded by the investors who keep pumping money into Uber. You really have to wonder how long uh, they can keep this up. Uh, they they actually have done better, um, especially over the past year. Um, they've had a lot of growth in the delivery business, Uber Eats and, you know, the other other delivery stuff. Yeah, they the Eats stuff. Which, which led them to buy Postmates. Them. Postmates. Right, right. Yeah, they bought Postmates. And so between Uber and DoorDash now, they, they're kind of the two big dominant players in deliveries now. And the economics of that actually work out a lot better for them than ride hailing. In the past uh, four weeks, more than 100,000 drivers have returned to the Uber platform, according to the New York Times. That's because they put 200... Remember, this is a company that lost $100 million last quarter. They put $250 million... (laughs) They called it stimulus spending into the effort to recruit drivers. Lyft spent $100 million. I just... This is the Paris. This is the modern world. You 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 make you spend money to lose money to not make money to not yeah. make money. I don't understand this at all. Well, the the other the other fundamental problem with with their business because it's largely unregulated. Well, I think that's the nature changing, of, by the way. Well, but the you know the the nature of what they do, you know, having a dispatch platform is there's not a real high barrier to entry. For that, so you know, pretty much anybody can replicate what they have done. You know, and it's just a matter of attracting drivers. So because you don't, because it's asset light, you know, you can come in, you can build the dispatch platform, and start recruiting drivers. And you know, if you're willing to undercut, if you've got enough cash that you can undercut the pricing, so there's always a race to the bottom on the pricing for the consumer side. And there's no, for consumers, there's no network effect because there's no switching cost to go from Uber to Lyft or to any other service. Yeah. So they, they have to keep their prices artificially right. low. Right. Or taxis in, in to, or city bikes. I mean, there's so, yeah. The, so, the Times so quotes, they, quotes a hospitality worker in New York who used to pay $20. For Uber rides to Brooklyn from uh, Queens, the fare is now $38. A trip to the Bronx, $45. Ms. Sanchez recently realized airfares were nearly the same price as her Uber rides. When she found a $60 round-trip flight to Miami, she booked that. If my choice is to go to the Bronx or Miami, I'm going to Miami, she said. (laughs) (laughs) That seems reasonable. Yeah. It seems to be the VC mentality. (laughs) The chat room is saying, uh, faux pas in the chat room is saying, Paris, that this is the Amazon model. You know, Amazon historically didn't make money. They invested it back into the business built the fulfillment centers, and now they're, you know, extremely profitable. Can you compare this to Amazon, you think, Paris? I mean, I think it's a little different um, for the reasons we just discussed about Amazon. Part of what eventually ended up working at scale was their physical assets, their fulfillment center network, the way that their system worked in the physical world. Uber and Lyft really don't have that. I mean, they are incredibly asset light. And the only thing they have is this technology platform that allows them to connect to a supply of drivers that can easily evaporate, as we're seeing right now, and cause all of these issues in regards to uh, accessibility and kind of 
keeping the cost down uh, for customers, at least. And I think it's also worth mentioning that Amazon is kind of having its own version of this issue in regards to Amazon Flex drivers and uh, the delivery drivers mm, that they use right. in states like California as well, given that AB5 is uh, currently under question for them. Right. Right. They there's have to also pay these employees employees. Go ahead. Deb, it's, right. it's important to say that there's a difference, Leo, between a company that wasn't profitable for years because it chose not to be. Right. I don't think that Uber and Lyft have that luxury to choose not to be profitable. <laughs> yeah. They but, would but love also, to eke out a little bit. Right, right, right. The, I've also been hearing a lot of people say recently that, you know, we talk about bubbles and things like that in the tech economy all the time. But what if for the last decade or so, there was a bubble in the labor market that allowed all of these gig economy ah. startups to happen. And that now, if you do go into a roaring 20s period where, again, um, maybe uh, people can be choosy about the jobs they take, maybe there is inflationary pressure, increasing wages and things like that, that suddenly these gig economy models don't work out, maybe at all. That's a really good point. Yeah. You know, uh, mm -hmm. both my kids graduated from college in the last few years, and both of them entered what is essentially a gig economy. The, you know, when I got out of college, you had recruitment. You know, you had people on campus trying to recruit you. The idea was you get a job, you have a job for life, you retire with a gold watch. Uh, that has really changed. And it is now the expectation of a lot of young people that you're not going to ever have a lifetime job. You might not even have a job job. You might just have a bunch of gigs. Yeah, that's. I mean, that's increasingly common. Um, you know, it's it's been that seems the case so for my kids unsatisfying too. and unsustainable. Or maybe that's just it, me. I, I think I think it is. You know, and I think you know until until wages actually start rising, so that people want. I mean, you know, we've seen this in restaurants in recent months as well. You know, restaurants are having a hard time finding people to come back to work because. They pay so poorly, you know, in, in most most of the country, you know, the base wage you know, for restaurant workers is well below the the regular minimum wage. You know, it's like two or three dollars an hour. And then, you know, most of their their income comes from tips, you know, which is a crazy system. And, you know, until until wages actually start rising, then people will come back into the workforce. Who wants to work for wages where you can't you can't make a living? Yeah, I mean, in some places, you're earning $4 an hour as a waitress or waiter or another tipped employee. And if you don't have enough people coming in and choosing to tip you, you end up making very, very little for your time on the job. That bothers me. That worries me. I feel like uh, that's that's a recipe for some kind of disaster. I'm not sure what. Uh, but there's going to be a whole generation that's just going to be underemployed and and impoverished. You don't want a generation yeah, to grow up impoverished. I mean, what we're maybe seeing the beginning of the vanguard of is what we're describing is that Uber and Lyft are having to shove money at people to get drivers onto the job. Amazon is having to increase uh, their hourly wages. Like, so what if we are seeing the 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 tip of the spear in terms of, well, this next next decade is going to be about um, you're not going to find a lot of people that are going to, you know, do a DoorDash thing or do a, you know, any of these gig economy things because 
maybe there are better jobs out there. Like maybe tech is sort of the canary in the coal mine for this, that we are going to see the wages increase. We are, there are better jobs available to people. Whereas in the, in the teens, um, the, the job market was so, was so weak that people had to take these side gigs. I think you make a great point. Yeah. They forced us in this situation bad economy but there's a mcdonald's in illinois that's so desperate to hire people they're giving you an iphone if you take the job for, and stay for six months free i could never put that money uh, towards increasing their wages oh no no too no, much no. <laughs> <laughs> and actually you know i was looking back as i started my career 50 years ago uh working at mcdonald's in uh santa cruz and the minimum wage then i don't know what it, i was making i think 350 an hour but three fifty an hour in the early seventies was more than fifteen bucks an hour today. Uh, I think if I did the math right. So even though that seemed like a very small amount of money, it actually wasn't bad pay. It was more than people working McDonald's make today in real dollars. No wonder they have to give them an iPhone. But it seems like a scam. It's like uh, the same thing as Uber and Lyft offering cash bonuses to sign up. In the long run, if the job's yeah, not tenable, those not... Amazon ads you yeah. hear all the time with a thousand dollar cash bonus to start. Yeah. It's like I've you seen could ads... also just pay them a bit more. I've seen ads from Amazon now saying, "Hey, we pay fifteen dollars an you know I've full page ads in newspapers and on TV saying it's a good job. What are you talking about? It does actually, compared to some of the other jobs, seem like a decent job. It sounds like except a, for when you you know uh, look at the numbers that in comparison to any other job in warehousing or manufacturing, Amazon has a much higher injury rate, especially at warehouses job. that are yeah. you know robotic uh, enabled, which is the increasing share of Amazon warehouses. Yeah, yeah. My my uh, my kid, my younger child, and uh, and her partner both worked in the Amazon warehouse uh, through most of 2020, um, and ended up both ended up quitting after the the holidays because it, it's really hard work. It's grueling, really dangerous. I mean, they they did it because especially you know, the holidays, you have to work like 13 hour shifts. Yeah, Ugh. I mean, they were getting a ton of overtime, so they made decent money, but it, you know, it's really challenging. And, you know, you've heard the stories about, you know, people not having enough break time. You know, they've got to pee in their, in their water bottles and things like that. Uh, and, and, you know, I mean, now I think one of the stories on the rundown is about these, these little pods that are putting into the warehouses now, which, you know, it's, seems kind They're of They're called Amazon, Amazon room. Zen booth. Yeah. Zen booth. Welcome Zen to my booths. Zen booth. It's a tiny little rectangular room. <laughs> it's a phone no booth. windows. It's a it phone, phone booth. It's a phone booth. Depressing as all heck inside. And uh, you're supposed to be able to go in there to be mindful. <laughs> that's that's like, that's a time you know, out. reminds me of the, uh, the suicide booths in Futurama. <laughs> oh, my God. Uh, a, <laughs> Vice Motherboard Advice writes, what this looks like in reality is a coffin-sized booth in the middle of a warehouse where use workers can view use a computer to view mental health and mindful practices. Here's the uh, here's the video. I wanted to provide a place that's quiet that people could go and focus on their mental and emotional well-being. Oh my God! It's got padded walls, as it should. You can navigate through a library of mental health and barely big enough to sit in and look at the computer. That's so dystopian. 
It looks like I'm they're sure having a lot of fun in there. I'm sure that you cannot get a uh, <laughs> break to use it, so you could probably use it after your workout. Oh, right. That's the point. Is that like if you if you already are having a hard time using the bathroom and the breaks that they allow you, what? How is that a choice? If it's like you can go pee or you can go sit in this coffin. <laughs> <laughs> Don't pee Which in the coffin, do? though. That's right out. No, I, I think I think the employees just start probably much prefer to have just put a little little hole yeah. in the coffin. Yeah, yeah. Put you know have, have have more toilets. You know more restrooms. You know around the warehouse. You know skip the skip these pods. So there there is a lawsuit. The Attorney General of a, a District of Columbia is suing Amazon on antitrust grounds. Oddly, uh, they say uh, he says that Amazon's overcharging. And then the Biden White House says Amazon is undercharging. So that's confusing. So, no, the uh, specifically what the D.C. attorney general is accusing Amazon of is that there is this provision or was in Amazon kind of uh, terms of service for sellers, the companies that are selling things in Amazon, where you can't list a product on Amazon unless uh, – if you have a product listed on Amazon, you can't sell it for less on Anywhere any else. other website, Which, even if it's your own website. As a consumer, so, seems like a pro-consumer provision. I know it somehow violates if antitrust you're, if you're practices. you're selling a T-shirt, Leo, and yeah. you also want to list it on Amazon, your T-shirt on the Twit website has to be higher in order for you. Or the same. It has to be a dollar more. Yeah. I mean, oh, it can't be the same? It has Apple, to be a little more expensive? Isn't that what Apple it, got ideal, busted for? With the the bookstore, yes, yeah. exactly. Amazon, it was it's exactly the same thing. They were doing the same thing to Amazon. Apparently, now somebody Amazon told Amazon this was uh, uh, illegal, so they stopped doing it in 2019. They called it price parity provision. I could see how somebody maybe like me, not schooled in the ins and outs of antitrust law, might say, "Well, I mean, we you know, like when advertisers give a coupon code to our audience." We try to tell them, okay, but, you know, don't offer a cheaper code anywhere else because people just use that. And then you, you will, you'll think that they're not seeing the ad. I mean, we can't stop them. We don't put a provision in our contracts like that. But I can, I can understand how a business in a naive way might say, well, that's a good thing both for us and for the customer, right? The customer's getting – knows when they buy it on Amazon, they're getting the lowest price out there or at least but nothing. But that's – Leo, that's how this thinking of antitrust – right now is evolving or has been evolving in recent years where the the yardstick was always like well it's not raising prices it's 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 cheaper for consumers so consumers are benefiting right but the problem is is that and this is the thinking that has evolved and i'm not a um you know in this field so I, i might butcher this but when you have these platforms that are also serving as the marketplaces um, then it, you can't just use the measurement of lower prices as the harm because there's also harm being done to the overall marketplace itself, as Paris is saying, that where it, it is harming the consumer, even if we use price as a mechanism, that you can't get it cheaper elsewhere because what's happening is that you, Leo, selling your Twit t-shirt you're going to the Amazon marketplace to get scale and maybe have some, you know, logistics help and stuff like that. But it would be cheaper for you to just sell it on your own website too. But then I have to so, do my own fulfillment and and all of that, right? But you're not but you're, doing a cut to Amazon, right? Right, and and so the point is, is that you're being locked into a a distorted marketplace that that Amazon is creating, right? Got it. It's just like people like like Amazon when it sells books in the Kindle store 
versus selling them on Apple's platform. In fact, it's not at all unusual. Spotify charges 30% less if you buy a subscription from Spotify than from Apple because they're paying the Apple VIG. So, in effect, the customer pays the Apple VIG. So, it would be like Apple saying to Spotify, yeah, but you can't charge less on your website. Right. That's the exact argument that I say is evolving in terms of this sort of regulatory thing. Right. Uh, by the way, Amazon's uh, response, uh, the D.C. Attorney General has it exactly backwards. Sellers set their own prices for products they offer in our store. Nobody said they didn't. Amazon takes pride in the fact that we offer low prices across the broadest selection. And like any store, we reserve the right not to highlight offers. This, by the way, this is how Amazon changed it in 2019. There are sanctions imposed if you offer at a lower price. And basically what Amazon's saying is we don't highlight offers to customers that are not priced competitively. So if I'm selling an air conditioner at my website for, for 150 bucks, but I'm selling it for 190 bucks on Amazon, they won't highlight it anymore. They don't prevent me from doing it. Which, by the way, is their biggest growth area of business is suddenly turning on turning the switch on this ad network that right. is suddenly the third largest um, ad business in digital behind uh, Google and Huge and growth and the fastest mm -hmm. growing ad business anywhere, right? Mm -hmm. Amazing right. growth. Yeah. So isn't that funny how this, this pivot kind of also leans into their current strength? But. Amazon says the relief the Attorney General seeks would force Amazon to feature higher prices to customers, that $195 air con conditioner, oddly going against the core objectives of antitrust law. So I think you're ex exactly as you said, Brian, this is perhaps a, a re-understanding, re uh, a revision of how what antitrust means. Uh, it, you know, well, I mean, historically, antitrust, antitrust could be against, could be to promote competition between companies, or as it has traditionally been in the United States, or as it's traditionally been in, the, in Europe, as I understand, to promote uh, competition because for consumers, price competition for consumers. It's, it's the other way around. Oh, it's the other it's way around. Price we competition prefer for consumers here. Here, okay. And then uh, promoting competition in Europe. So that uh, either way, the ultimate goal is to encourage in, you know competition, innovation, and ultimately that benefits consumers. So. Well, except I think in the in the long term, the approach of promoting competition, having a vibrant marketplace, long term is going to be better for consumers if you have multiple players, you know, that are competing. Whereas, you know, if if you allow you know one company to you know have a race to the bottom here, you know, and they they happen to be the one that's got enough resources to survive that race to the bottom, and they drive everybody else out of business. Then, then you end up with a monopoly situation, and and while the the lower prices may be great temporarily, long term they're probably not going to stay that way once once they drive all their competitors out of the market. Right. I mean, it's the same thing we were just talking about with Uber and Lyft. Almost. I mean, mm -hmm. their whole business model is predicated in the fact that we want to capture all the market share with our lower uh, artificially deflated costs, and then raise them up so that we can make a profit. But in Amazon's case, it's such a large company that it is subsidizing the cost of its products. And we're talking about first-party brands with AWS and other profit-making arms. And eventually, you'd assume, would kind of bring all of these parts of the business into alignment to all be profit-generating in and of themselves. It's a problem politically, though, isn't it? Because customers like Amazon. Customers like Uber. No. They like Lyft. No, they don't? No, I was saying, yeah, they do. 
so politically it's challenging. It's the same problem <clears throat> net neutrality had. It's hard to explain why a zero rating Netflix on your T-Mobile account is bad <laughs> for the country when it's so good for me as a consumer. I don't have to pay for bandwidth for Netflix. What's wrong with that? And, and and we've tried to jump through these hoops explaining, well, then the next Netflix doesn't start because they have a disadvantage. But I don't think you could – It's consumers just go, oh, the, screw that. I don't want to pay for Netflix. I don't want to – I like Amazon. I don't want to have to I, – I like Uber unless they do surge pricing. Then I don't like Uber anymore. Um, and consumers tend to think about it in the, in the short term. How, you know, how much is it going to cost me for the thing I yes. want to buy today? Yes. They're not thinking about – Five years from now. But, but, and I agreed, and I suppose Congress should be, except Congress has to uh, get elected and they have to appeal to voters. And if voters are saying in a loud voice, stop screwing around with Amazon, how long yeah, before the, they stop screwing around with Amazon? These things can evolve to. In the sense that here's a perfect example uh, using Amazon, actually, uh, you know, for how many years? was sales tax not collected on e-commerce because right. the government did a forward-thinking thing, which was like, this is a nascent industry. Let's let's support it as much as we can. Now that, you know, e-commerce has become, you know, such a large percentage of all commerce, that's gone because it served its purpose and it doesn't need to continue in perpetuity. That was a change that was harmful to consumers if you're a heavy e-commerce user, but then probably better for the overall economy. Well, better for the tax collectors. Sure. <laughs> the states were really the ones who were bitching about this. Better for our roads. It's better. It's Yeah, Ral, you should drive around your Petaluma. Schools, I don't know or... where that money has gone, but it's not going into the potholes in Petaluma. Or maybe it is. Well, speaking of, you know, the whole reason why Bezos abandoned that um, anti-sales tax thing was because there was a larger thing that he was going after, which was they couldn't put fulfillment right. centers and the, the, right. the employees couldn't even travel to states, you know, that right. they weren't collecting sales tax. So in aid of the larger, you know, land grab of, of building out everything, they're like, all right, we'll drop fighting this. And um, sure, sales tax everywhere, but we can put um, warehouses and fulfillment yeah, centers have, everywhere now. Too. Now they have a f fulfillment center uh, in our neighborhood. <clears throat> I ordered That's an echo last have, uh, I ordered an echo last night at nine. It's already on my doorstep. I yeah, that's what I say. That's why we have one and two day shipping on the same day is because of those fulfillment yeah. centers and delivery yeah. stations and whatnot. All right. I, I uh I'm gonna I'm gonna give you all a challenge in just a second. Because I, I think I have a contrarian view, speaking of Amazon, on Amazon sidewalk. Dan Gooden writing in the Ars Technica. What could possibly go wrong? Amazon devices will soon automatically share your internet with neighbors. Amazon ex experimental wireless mesh networking turns users into guinea pigs. And he uh, goes on to tell you how to turn it off. I think you should leave it on. We'll talk about that when we come back. It's great to have you. I have you. strong opinions. I'm sure you do, Paris <laughs> Martineau, from the information. Great to have you. When uh, I told <laughs> Jessica, you don't have to buy ads on Twit. You just have Paris on. More often. We Happy love, to be here. We love having Paris on. Brian McCullough from the Tech Meme Ride Home. Great to have you, Internet Historian. I call you that because of the Internet History, this day in Internet History podcast. Do you still do that? I keep asking you this. Were well, you going to bring that back? Oh, we've lo he's muted. You have muted. Hello? Sorry, no, I haven't done it in two years now, but... Um, I keep no, asking I did you. One. 
See? Yeah. If, See? If somebody, you know, if, if somebody uh, wants to sit down with me and they're Pay very... You. Yes. And they're very interesting, yes. I would always, I would always <laughs> take Have you interviewed Leo yet? <laughs> no, that's funny that you... I'm, that's kind of what I'm hinting at, but, uh, oh, you know, we can, we can bring it out of oh. mothballs for a, a <laughs> for a special person. I yeah. did that the other day because we uh, canceled our interview show, Triangulation, due to lack of interest. But I really wanted to interview Andy Weir, the uh, author of The Martians. So I said, well, I'm going to bring it back for one special episode. There you go. That works out all right. Yeah, he's got yeah. a new book, which is really good if you haven't read it. Project Hail Mary. Also with us, my car guy, Sam Abul Samad from uh, Guidehouse Insights and the Wheel Bearings podcast. I do also want to talk, you were talking before the show, I wasn't here, but I was listening in about Tesla abandoning radar in its car, self-driving vehicles in favor of cameras. And how I want to talk about how that's working out. Plus the F-150, the Ford electric truck, the Lightning was announced this was it this week yeah this wednesday uh week and a half ago and you got to drive it so i'm gonna ask you a little i got to ride in it nope nobody's nobody oh no non-ford employees have driven it yet oh, you just get to sit there as a passenger and and, yeah. and, and and look at it well i will talk about that as well in just a little bit our show today brought to you by brand new sponsor indeed you're the hiring expert for your company what you really need is help Making your short list of quality candidates. You need a hiring partner who makes your life easier. You need Indeed. Indeed is the job site that makes hiring as easy as one, two, three. You post, you screen, you interview, and you do it all on Indeed. You'll get a quality short list of candidates whose resumes on Indeed match your job description faster. You only pay for the candidates that meet your must-have qualifications, and you schedule and complete video interviews in your Indeed dashboard. I love that dashboard. Indeed makes connecting with and hiring the right talent fast and easy. Indeed's instant match gets you quality candidates whose resumes on Indeed fit your job description immediately. Over 80% of employers get quality candidates as soon as they sponsor their job post. That's pretty fast. Indeed, skills tests on average reduces hiring time by 27% by weeding out the candidates who just don't have the skills you must have. And, and by the way, you don't have to create those. You can choose from more than 130 skill tests. And then if you have a few must-have requirements, you can add those. You only pay for applications that pass the skills test. No more money spent or time wasted on candidates that, that don't fill your needs. You know, according to Talent Nest, Indeed delivers four times more hires than all other job sites combined. Combined, according to Comscore, Indeed's the number one job site in the world with more total visits than any other job site. That means more chance that the person you're looking for is already there. If you're hiring, you need Indeed. Join over 3 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent. Get started right now with a free $75 sponsored job credit to upgrade your job post at Indeed.com slash twit. $75 credit? Wow. Indeed.com slash twit. Offer valid through June 30th, 2021. I-N-D-E-E-D. Indeed. Dot com slash twit terms and conditions apply. Thank you so much for your support of This Week in Tech. Indeed. And uh, thank you for supporting twit by using that address so they know you saw it here. Indeed.com slash twit. So the chat room's telling me, I hope this won't break your heart, Sam. Marquez Brownlee got to drive the Ford Lightning F-150. See these YouTube stars? 
Joe, well, I, we saw I, I Joe Biden drive it. I don't, okay. Yeah. Joe Biden, yes, <laughs> that's true. Different. Biden did drive it. He gets to drive it. Think, He's the president. I don't think Marquez actually drove it. He sat in the driver's seat. If you watch seat. the video, yeah, you don't, you don't see him ever actually uh, driving the thing. Sneaky, tricky. Yeah. Okay. He fooled everybody. Those I mean, YouTube I may guys. be wrong. I may be wrong. He may have driven it, but you don't actually see him driving it in the video. It's actually a pet peeve of mine. All the YouTube stars get all this special treatment. Apple sent I, I Justine seven IMAX, one in every color. And it's like I can't even get an invitation to an Apple event. I just it drives me nuts. I should have been a I should have been a YouTube star because you sometimes say less than positive things Ooh, about them. Leo. Shocking! You'd think they'd want objective journalism. No, no. not Apple. Not That'd Apple. be too much. That's why I'm becoming a, a Twitch star and. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> you know, I mean, nothing no, bad ever goes wrong on Twitter. There's no, there's no, yeah. Well, I thought I'm going to get in a hot tub in a bikini and it'll be huge. And it just really didn't drive much traffic. I thought uh, that would do better. Mm. Did you turn the bubbles on? That might oh, have been that. Maybe that's what I did wrong. Amazon devices, which says Dan Gooden, will soon automatically share your internet with neighbors. Now, I know this is uh, controversial and I am in the minority. But having looked at Amazon's white paper, in fact, having uh, had our security guy, Steve Gibson, did a whole show on it last year, late last year, I was impressed with Amazon's effort to make it secure and effort to make and make it private. And as far as I could tell, it looks pretty darn good. There is a kind of community benefit to Sidewalk because it puts a it's a low speed network. It's not it's sharing your Internet, but it's not sharing a lot of your Internet. It's like 80 kilobits at most. Uh, so that, you know, lost dogs can be seen anywhere in your, you know, in your general vicinity. I mean, it just seems like this is a a good thing. Dan, um, I think, is kind of scaring people and says, well, there might be a problem. There have historically been problems with IoT devices and Wi-Fi and Bluetooth. Does that mean we should never do any IoT, Wi-Fi or Bluetooth devices? Because there could be a problem. I don't think that's fair. He also shows you how to turn it off, which admittedly Amazon kind of berries three levels yeah i mean i think the difference here is that it is by default enabled on it is i think that's by default on that's right yep that's the issue here is it's one thing if you want to uh but nobody would opt into a platform okay well then maybe it shouldn't exist if (laughs) the only reason that your uh tech thing is going to work is because you're tricking people into using it then maybe it's not something that trick is such um a, a, a pejorative word. It's not a trick. It's it's you're just sneaking it in under not, there. Well, I mean, they published the white paper. They told people they're doing this. It turns oh, they on published the white paper. It turns on June eighth. <laughs> turns on June eighth. Um, I don't. There isn't much risk. It doesn't use a lot of bandwidth, and there is a great benefit. I think they understand that people are going to get scared by articles like this and people saying, oh, you don't want Amazon to have a network. But I think there's a huge benefit. You know, Tile's going to use this. It's the only way Tile can compete against Apple's uh, AirTags because, you know, Apple's AirTags use iPhones to do the network. Everybody with everybody with an iPhone is creating a network for AirTags. Um, how else is Tile to compete? They, they are going to tie into Sidewalk, which will give them roughly... This, a similar footprint, or maybe not as big, but a, a good footprint. Uh, that's a benefit to the public. And sometimes the public doesn't know what's good for them. Can't believe I said that. But Amazon does. <laughs> Amazon might. What do you think? I think, you know, if it, if it wasn't Amazon doing this, 
I think people would be a lot less concerned about it. Yes, I understand. Uh, I think Amazon knew that, and so they really worked hard to make it private. It doesn't in any way uh, reveal who you are, where, it's, where you're coming from. Um, but I mean, how many times have companies told us that and then some hack or issue happens and it's revealed to – even in the case – it's a little bit of a different example. But in the case of Alexa devices, um, there was that great uh, Bloomberg uh, feature that was on the cover a year or two ago about how your recordings from whenever you were talking to your Echo were being listened to by a bunch of um, low-wage paid workers. Right, right. And they were sharing – Fun recordings <laughs> from your house. I mean, I'm sure they were fun. <laughs> but something else like that happening, as it gets closer and closer to, I guess, our internet, the core of kind of our online and increasingly like offline lives, it gets a bit more concerning. I mean, I as much as, you know, Dan's written this article and we talk about it and we've told people how to turn it off. I've told people on the radio show how to turn it off while lobbying to have them turn it on. Uh, I think because it is a default and because most people won't even know about it, it's it's going to it's going to happen. And Are you're you right. leaving yours on? Yeah, I am leaving my on. But uh, I'm not I don't know. Maybe I'm the bad I'm the guy who was always saying. You oh. have a ring, you know. I, I used to have a ring. I got there. I replaced my ring with a, a doorbell from Google, so that's got to be better. <laughs> oh wow! Yeah. I mean, that's you know, you're going up you the go advertiser ranking. Well, not to not to jump on uh, this unpopular boat with you, Leo, but um, on some level, isn't <laughs> the ultimate dream of the internet? A truly decentralized one where there aren't servers, where all of these devices are like yeah, it's a truly mesh. meshed. Yeah, yeah, that's what this so is. I, it's not a high speed network. It's not like you could surf the net on it. It's really more for uh, you know things like tracking. If every single device, to some degree or another, some little sliver of its connection, was helping every other yeah. device in the world have a connection, isn't that cool? Then you wouldn't have a situation where governments could be like, go find the server rooms and uh, shut them off because you couldn't shut off every single device. Um, now, Amazon doing that is not exactly the decentralized dream. One huge company doing that maybe isn't. But well, um, who who would do this? The people that you would trust, uh, Brian or Paris? Who would you? Who could do this that you'd say, oh, I'm glad they're doing it. Nobody. I feel like that's the issue. Is one central figure or company? Handling would you this trust it if not going to be decentralized? Would you trust it if the American government did it? I mean, I, I don't think any central uh, power being responsible. The United Nations to... should do it. There is a there's a crypto company. Well, I definitely don't trust them. Yeah, right. Uh, helium, 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 helium. So that we've talked a lot about helium. That's very mm, yeah, interesting. Was talking about that on Twig this week. Yeah, Stacy has it. So this is a router that mines uh, a cryptocurrency. Oh God! <laughs> no, wait a minute. But <laughs> but there's more. But wait, there's more. <laughs> you you get money. In fact, I didn't realize this, but Stacy's gotten something like eighteen thousand dollars since she put this thing in. You get money. It's in a cryptocurrency, but you can convert it to dollars for not proof of work, which is how Bitcoin works, or proof of stake, which ha which is how the future imaginary cryptocurrencies will work, but through proof of coverage. When somebody uses, and it's low raw, just like Sidewalk, somebody uses your long-range slow 
wide area network for she lives on an island so she thinks ships are using it for uh location and data set, you know of some kind uh you get you get a small amount of money and she's gotten a lot of money so paris i I actually consi- I, I found out about this a year ago, and I really considered it. Because, I tried to like, buy it, but you can't because it's sold right. out. But like you, uh, you and I living in Brooklyn, the idea was is you would put You'd a little a router in your window, right? And so this then is kind all of, of like those- NYC mesh, yeah, right. exactly. or Meraki. Before that, this has been proposed mm-hmm. in uh, past years as well. It's- and and like Leo's saying, apparently the currency has exploded, or, or, or it did. Who knows what happened in the last forty eight hours? <laughs> but, um, yeah, uh, like does, so, like all crypto go up and down. Right, right. But that was the point: is that you would just hang one of these in your window, and then in a place like here, where it could be used by, you know, the Amazon delivery truck or the the dog, the smart dog collar that goes by or whatever. Mm-hmm, like, I, mm-hmm. it, it seems like we would be a high traffic area for that to happen. So I, I, I really considered it, and now I regret not pulling the trigger on it. Uh, I, okay, I, you guys mentioned at the beginning of this cryptocurrency. So, is this uh, how many trees is this killing? Per no. Hour? Mm. Oh, oh, that's what's so cool about it. It's not GPU mining. It's not hugely powerful. It doesn't use much power at all because the way it mines it is by proof of coverage, not by proof of work. So you're not That's doing great. Yes, it's a crypto it's an environmentally friendly cryptocurrency. Now how much would you pay? Okay. <laughs> I don't know. My Fios Does, is pretty cheap. You have Fios, is, right? This would pay for your Fios. Is, is helium capped at the number of tokens that can be generated like Bitcoin is, or is it open-ended like Oh, Doge? that's a good question. I is don't it, know enough of that. Yeah. Yeah. I, I don't know. Um, I'd have to re- – that's, that's a white paper right there. Um, Mark Benioff's an investor. Does that help? Uh, Not really. <laughs> no. Google, yeah, Ven- Google, no. <laughs> Google Ventures uh, has invested. Uh, I I just think it's very interesting. I you know there's a lot of benefit to creating, and it doesn't have to be a high speed network. We're not talking that you can. We're not doing what like Xfinity and Cox do, which is take over your. By the way, they're doing it to create a, a Wi-Fi network, over taking over your router. And most people, that's on by default. If you get an Xfinity router, a Comcast router, or a, I can't remember who else. I think Spectrum's doing it maybe Cox, if you get one of their routers, it automatically creates this guest network that people can use if they're subscribers. That's all to the benefit of those companies. This is not quite like that. This is really, I think Amazon's benefit probably is something like delivery trucks, like they would love to know where the delivery trucks are, but they have GPS in those trucks, so that can't be it. Yeah, they have GPS at the wazoo in those trucks. Yeah. So I, I wonder. I wonder if the low signal thing is, as opposed to where the truck is, what's still on that truck. Like how close would oh, they maybe. be able to? Yeah. They, they could. They could use that to ping you that your delivery is three minutes you away. You could put a little device in every package. Well, they, they you know already exactly do where that, it is. Oh, that's they, true. That's yeah, true. Okay. Well, they yeah, do it by scanning. Getting, but they. What if you put a little? I guess it's too expensive. But you could put a little tag on every little tile tag on every. Oh well. What well, about I mean, the idea when, when that? You see, you see those. You see the delivery people have to scan the package every time. So, what if a house had this device in it, and so then again, the package would know to the second when it hit that doorstep or something like. Yeah. That. Well, I get a picture. Yeah. Then, then you've got to put something, you know, an RFID tag or, an NFC or something. It wouldn't be in, RFID. In the package That's the problem. itself. It would have yeah, to be. I mean, some some sort of maybe RFID some sort would of work. token. 
Yeah, because you have this um, network everywhere. It might be something you can make cheaply or down the road make cheaply. Make cheaply. I mean, as it is now, you know, when I'm getting an, an Amazon package, I get a notification. You know, if it's coming via an Amazon Prime truck, I get a notification. The truck is two stops away. I get that from truck, UPS too. You know, now they're, they're all they're in competition. Yeah. They're all UPS. Doing okay. They've really stepped up their game. Yeah. You can follow the truck along on a little. Map I get a little map. Yeah. Sam, what about this? What if this was in all of our windows here in Brooklyn, and would would that signal is it's probably too weak? But what if that helped self driving vehicles in in cities? What if there was little signals well, I, to ping the cars as they go by? The, there, there's actually already a technology for that um, for what they call V to X vehicle to everything communications, mm. um, and they've been working on this for for quite some time. Um, you know where you've got vehicle to vehicle, vehicle to infrastructure, vehicle to pedestrian. Originally, they were going to do it with something called DSRC, which was a flavor of of Wi-Fi. They've now switched over to cellular V to X, which is basically using LTE or five G. Um, it's it's a it branches off from that because it doesn't actually have to go through the the cell network. It can go. It can broadcast directly to other nodes around you, and it you know so it can you know for example when you're driving down the road, if uh, you know if your wheel starts slipping and you know and you know, if you hit a patch of ice and your wheel slips and you your stability control turns on, it will broadcast a message to other vehicles around you that, hey, there's a patch of ice here, you know, be, and alert so cool. other drivers. And and they're doing this now, uh, Argo AI, which is a partner of Ford developing their automated driving system, is doing this in Miami now. They've put up, um, because this, all the sensors on these automated vehicles are limited to line of sight. They can't see through buildings or through other vehicles. So at certain intersections where there's limited visibility, they've put up sensor pods over the middle of the intersection with CV to X radios that will look down the cross street. And if there's a vehicle coming, you know, that might be a hazard to to the AV, it will broadcast that and say, hey, you know, there's a there's a car coming at high speed at this intersection. You know, be aware so the the, the automated vehicle could slow down before it gets there. And um, Motional is also doing this in Las Vegas now. And most of the the Chinese uh, AV companies are also doing this in in China, where they're they're further along with CV to X than we are here. How much bandwidth do you need? Could you could could something like sidewalk Very, be enough? Um. I don't know if sidewalk would be enough. I mean, it's, it doesn't take a whole lot of bandwidth yeah, because it's 80 kilobits. Yeah. Yeah. The, the, mes- the messaging standard, you know, they, 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 there's a what they call a basic safety messages standard. They're very small messages. They take very little bandwidth. Um, so, you know, you can broadcast a lot of messages in an area and it, it doesn't it doesn't take much at all. Um, as you go for, further forward and, and you want to start maybe sharing sensor data between vehicles, then you're going to need more. But for, you know, for a lot of the initial stuff, it, you, you, can, you don't need very much uh, bandwidth at all. If Amazon weren't doing it, Paris, you had an article in the information saying that uh, the D.C. Attorney General is just the first, just the beginning. Yeah, I mean, not even the first. Uh, I was kind of picking up some news that had been published by Bloomberg recently that was really interesting um, about the fact that um, attorney generals in Massachusetts and Pennsylvania um, have recently begun looking into uh, possible enforcement actions against Amazon. Same and, same uh, issues, uh, antitrust stuff, or yeah, I mean, all. Uh, 
antitrust stuff. I'm not sure. It's antitrust and related to the Amazon online marketplace, at least. And those attorney generals are joining other uh, attorneys general in California, New York, Washington State and the FTC. Um, So there's a lot of activity going on in a lot of different fronts. And these are just, you know, the beginning of uh, state and federal inquiries. Uh, Washington, D.C. kind of jumped the gun and actually fought. Oh, interesting. Ah, he probably wanted to get the headlines. (laughs) He did. (laughs) (laughs) I'm not going to be one part of a big group. I am going to do it all on my own. Uh, interesting. So the states, there is a, there are federal, uh, there's congressional uh, in, investigations going on. Amazon. Yeah, and there's also been uh, recently in the, God, it was last year, I guess. Everything in this past year feels like a haze. Um, the House House Judiciary Committee right. uh, published a really yeah. lengthy uh, yeah. antitrust report, and a large part of it was dedicated to Amazon, and that's just kind of the first step. I really worry that... Look, we ha- I mean, I, I understand we need, to, we need to do this. And there are things that these companies are doing that are predatory. There's no question about that. At the same time, I also think that some of that tarnishes some of the good things these companies are doing, like maybe even Sidewalk, where I think there's things we're not going to get because of just this, I hate to use the phrase moral panic. That's what Jeff Jarvis uses. But this kind of fear of technology. There's two things going on. They're, they're making too much money and they have too much power and we're going to cut them down to size. And I feel like that could be risky too. Uh, boy, what would this pandemic have been like if, if we didn't have these technology companies, uh, the Internet? I mean, Zoom. I think it would be wrong to say that any of this action will uh, completely erase any of these companies from the map or diminish them greatly. I mean, Microsoft's still around and it uh, went through this exact same thing. It's True. not something that is going to kill off these companies. It Regulation does not mean death. You could make the argument that actually made Microsoft a better company, actually. And yeah. the, the same the same argument can be made, uh, you know, breaking up Ma Bell, uh, even though they all reconstructed themselves into Verizon and AT&T. And so it's kind of a moot point. But there was a 20 to 25 <laughs> year period where all of these companies allowed this like explosion of innovation that allowed the whole mobile everything industry to, to form. So even and also there's that famous example that the day that AT&T got broken up, if you were a shareholder, if you just held on to all of those companies that that got spun off because you would get the shares in the new companies, you made a killing. So it's not bad for investors sometimes, antitrust stuff. It's not bad for companies sometimes. It's not bad for it's consumers. It's usually good for consumers. Yeah. And, and you know, even, even though, you know, the baby bells have largely reconstituted themselves as AT&T and Verizon, you know, if you look at the overall communication landscape we have today – it's way different than it was, you know, in what, 1984 when they split up or, um, AT&T. You know, we have so many more methods of communication now than we did then. Yes, we're, we're limited in the number of wireless carriers that we have access to. But, you know, we've got options from just talking on the phone to, you know, all kinds of different messaging services, including encrypt. You know, you've got everything like Signal and Telegram and iMessage and and you know uh, Skype and everything and Zoom and everything else we use so we have we that a lot of that probably wouldn't have happened if we hadn't had that split up of AT&T in the first right. place right AT&T sat on the technology of um uh 
I can't think of of, of, of having not voicemail. What am I, Leo? What am I thinking of? Answering machines. Um, answering machines. <laughs> well, I, you know, remember the Carter phone decision that said you didn't have to rent your equipment from AT and T. You could actually buy a phone. That was also transformative. So yeah, maybe every twenty to forty years we have to go through a little purge. Uh, it's like they say in The Godfather well, it, about the, 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 the mob wars. It's it's good. Every few years you have to have one of these. Yeah. Go to the yeah. mattresses, well, I, AT&T. Go to the mattresses. I, I, heard, I heard an interesting concept a few years back, and I, I can't remember where it came from. But the, you know, the idea is that you know maybe what we need to do is have a time limit on corporations, you know, a 20- or 30-year time limit. And, you know, once – you know, once you hit that, you know, the company's dissolved. I and agree. You start over again. Sure, start over. Then nobody yeah. will build a company ever again. <laughs> I, I also I think billionaires think so. should be capped at nine hundred ninety nine million nine hundred ninety nine thousand dollars. Just that's it. That's all you but get. But how would they be able to afford a smaller yacht for their bigger uh, yacht? Good yacht. point. Good point. Think about the smaller yachts. Think about the smaller yachts. You were talking, Paris, about. You think the smoking gun with Sidewalk is the fact that Amazon turned it on by default and hit it. Now there's a smoking gun for Google. Uh, this is part of a lawsuit. There's a lot of smoking there's guns. There's quite a few. Google. This is a new one. There's a lawsuit. I guess Arizona is uh, going after Google. And, of course, one of the great things about lawsuits is you get discovery and documents. The uh, judge love to see those documents. Yeah, they really tell you stuff. If, if I were a company, I'd say stay out of the courts. Uh, Lawyers' complaints in these sort of check battles are my favorite thing to read. Just the uh, going back and forth. It is the uh, most dramatic but politely worded thing possible. It's so juicy. <laughs> Arizona went after Google because if you turn off location settings, you might assume Google no longer knows where you are. But of course they do. So that was, a, I think, a fairly reasonable lawsuit. The documents uh, were hidden, but a judge has ordered them to be unredacted in response to a request by trade groups Digital Content Next and News Media Alliance, which argued it was in the public interest to know that Google was using its legal resources to suppress scrutiny of its data collection practices. The unsealed documents are definitely a smoking gun, including uh, email from uh, users. Here's one of the documents. So there's no way to give a third-party app your location and not Google, one employee said, adding, this doesn't sound like something we'd want on the front page of the New York Times. <laughs> Google, <laughs> when Google, this is the smoking gun, when Google tested versions of its Android operating system that made privacy settings easier to find, guess what? Users took advantage of them. Google viewed that as a problem, according to the documents. <laughs> to solve that problem, Google then sought to bury those settings deeper within the settings menu, just like Amazon did with the... Sidewalk. And crucially, put pressures on partners like LG and other OEMs to do the same. Mm -hmm. Google also tried to convince smartphone makers to hide location settings, quote, through active misrepresentations and or concealment suppression. This is Google telling LG, you should use active misrepresentations and or concealment suppression or omissions of facts Dark patterns, dark patterns. <laughs> Smoking a gun much? Um, and I mean, the thing that's so wild about these sort of uh, techniques is it's not one-off cases like Google. This is These are the sort of decisions and practices that are almost standard in the tech industry for a lot of companies. I remember in like 2019 or something, 
I ended up writing an article for Wired, which I was working at at the time, about a Facebook feature I'd realized. Uh, I went on vacation one day and I re-downloaded Instagram. I realized I kept getting notifications for my Facebook account on the Instagram oh, app, which surprise. was wild. And I looked in the settings and there was a button that said unlink Facebook and I had it turned off. And so I messaged PR Facebook and I was like, oh, you know, it's odd. Uh, does the unlink Facebook button in Instagram, does that not unlink Facebook? And they were like, no. Not that it part. doesn't unlink Facebook. <laughs> you can never unlink Facebook, even if you turn the unlink Facebook we, button, you know, on as, or off. As you may know, Ms. Martin, we own uh, Instagram and we've decided that it would be in your interest to know exactly what you're up to on this vacation, as you call it. <laughs> Google, Google, well, at, least, at least they apparently have backed off a bit on the, the WhatsApp changes that would have oh yeah uh, required they people had to, to ac- accept the facebook terms of service you know or have their whatsapp capabilities limited right they now say that if you uh do that if you say i don't want to share data i don't i don't want location data you'll still be able to use all of whatsapp's uh features i think they did that uh, because of public pressure i'm obviously they did so um and by the way i'm still deeply Angered by the uh, merging of uh, Instagram Messenger and Facebook Messenger yeah, and whatnot. I agree. I agree. It's really too bad. Uh, I, I, I express my anger by any any Facebook messages that come through Instagram. I simply ignore them. <laughs> I express my anger by having neither ago. anywhere near any of my phones. That seems to be the best way. I don't even have a Facebook account. That, by the way, works to decouple Facebook and Instagram. Not have a Facebook account. I still have an Instagram account. So they've got can... a uh, then they've got a Facebook account. For yeah, you, then I yeah. guess I do. You're just right? not seeing it. I just say hidden. <laughs> it's called your Instagram. A account. secret Facebook account called Instagram. Yeah. Um. Let's uh, take a little break. Twitter apparently is going ahead to offer a very special version of Twitter. Twitter Blue. For two ninety nine, if anybody's going to pay him two ninety nine, is this crowd right here? We'll find out. Florida has passed a new anti Facebook law that's pro Disney. <laughs> well, any amusement park in Florida, I guess. Uh, we'll talk about that. Lots more. We've got a great panel. Samable Samet is here. Paris Martineau, uh, Brian McCullough. Great to have all three of you. We had a fun week this week. You know, do we have a, a promo? We made a little movie for you. I guess you could watch this. And- Enjoy. All the guys have their brand new iPad Pro. Oh, you got the white magic keyboard. I can never eat Cheetos again. That's why you think ahead. If you buy the orange, orange. one to begin with, already oh, already all the Cheetos, Cheetos safe. and Doritos that you want. It's the Cheetos Safe Edition. Previously on Twit, all about Android. The Pixel 6 and the Pixel 6 Pro. So these are two devices that these designs have been leaked by multiple sources. It started about a week and a half ago. Do you remember that movie, The uh, Black Hole? <laughs> Man, it really looks like that phone, doesn't that it? Is, that is Lo- an interesting Flo is comparison. not amused by any of this. Hands-on tech. Renee Ritchie, Andy Anako, Alex Lindsay. All three of the guys have their brand new iPad Pro. We'll talk about the screen and the camera. How good are they? Hands-on photography. Hey, what's going on, everybody? I am Ant Pruitt, and this is Hands-On Photography. I get to sit with an amazing photographer. Some of the things that I've seen from this man is just really blows my mind from the simplicity of it at times to the intricacies of it to the post-processing. And I'm talking about Mr. Larry Chin. Security Now. 
Leo, you're going to want to go and test your skill. It took me an embarrassing number of times. I hate these captures. I just hate them. Well, this is the game, Doom. Oh. Oh. Yes. <laughs> you okay. know what? See now? I like that. Twit. I got your Bitcoin right here. <laughs> yeah, I wish you did. The great Jim Cutler, our VO guy. So now I know who has my Bitcoin. That's, that's a good thing. Uh, our show today brought to you by... Melissa, my favorite. Go ahead, fill in the blank. You know, it's my favorite address. Experts, if you've ever forgotten to forgot to take check the date on a carton of milk in your fridge, like milk, your customer data is also going bad every day. In fact, up to thirty percent of customer data goes bad every year. Now, that's a problem if you're sending catalogs to the wrong address, bills to the wrong address, brochures to the wrong address, emailing the wrong people, calling the wrong people. Melissa, make sure your data is accurate and current so you reach the right customers. You waste less time contacting the wrong people. You offend fewer people. Their tools have helped businesses maintain fresh data for a long time, 35 years. Now over 10,000 businesses use the address experts to keep their data clean. You can not just not only verify addresses, but you can also verify emails, phone numbers, even names in real time with Melissa. Melissa's global address verification service has addresses for over 240 countries and territories. And you can, I mean, there's a variety of ways uh, to use it. There's on-prem, there's an API, there's a SaaS, there's even FTP upload and download. But if you want, if you're using the real-time Melissa, you can actually verify these addresses at the point of entry. So you don't even start with a bad address. And how many times, you know this happens, you fumble finger your, your street address, you get the wrong number in there, or a customer service rep gets your name spelled wrong. You don't want that. You can validate existing customer data. You can find new customers. You can correct addresses as they're entered. And by the way, if, if you're worried about duplication with Melissa's data matching, you can eliminate clutter and duplicates too. Increase the accuracy of your database. Reduce postage and mailing costs. Get the information that completes your customer profiles too. Public demographic information like property data, marital status, social media handles. Really get to know your customers. Melissa's flexible deployment options offer different platforms to suit any preference, business size, and budget. As I mentioned, on-prem, there's a web service, there's SaaS, there's secure FTP processing. And I, I, I want to emphasize, because I know you care a lot about the privacy of your data, so does Melissa. That's why they continually undergo independent security audits, because they're committed to the security, privacy of your data and to compliance. I mean, that you, you have to be compliant with SOC 2 or HIPAA or GDPR. They are, so you don't have to worry. By the way, congratulations. Melissa was just named a leader in address verification by G2 Crowd in that spring 2021 report. Good job, Melissa. Melissa's also been a great partner for communities and qualifying essential workers during the pandemic. Um, if, if you're, it's still going on. If your organization qualifies, you get six months of free service. Just apply at the website, melissa.com. So bottom line, don't put up with sour customer data. Try Melissa's APIs and their developer portal right now. It's easy to log on, sign up, and start playing in the API sandbox 24-7. In fact, just to get you started, 1,000 records cleaned for free at melissa.com slash twit. M-E-L-I-S-S-A, melissa.com slash twit. We thank them so much for their support of This Week in Tech. Thank you for supporting us by using that address as well, melissa.com slash twit. 
Uh, oh, this is a. We'll get to some of those other stories I mentioned, but I do want to get this one in. This is actually really good news. Um, uh, a court has ruled. The European Court of Human Rights has ruled that the UK spy agency GCHQ methods for bulk interception of online communications violated the right to privacy and violated the uh, data collection laws. A landmark victory. According to one of the uh, applicants, the judges found the bulk interception regime breached the right to freedom of expression and contained insufficient protections for confidential journalistic material. However, <laughs> we're not going to do anything about it. The decision to operate a bulk interception <laughs> regime did not of itself violate the European Convention on Human Rights. Uh, you know, I don't know if you could find GCHQ. It's just it's nice to know that somebody cares. Uh, the it's widely rumored the NSA has been doing the same thing for uh, for years. Um, so this is the snoo- This might be, and I hope it is a, uh, a a beginning of a way to challenge the Snoopers Charter. Um, and uh, and Liberty says Liberty, one of the plaintiffs says that this would allow its challenge to the IPA to proceed in UK courts. So. The UK has actually really been aggressive in this kind of widespread uh, snooping, as has, I suspect, the U.S., but um, I'm glad that this court ruled that way. Um, Florida has passed, and the uh, governor, Rick DeSantis, has signed into law (laughs) the Stop Social Media Censorship Act, which is really pretty much targeted... (laughs) at Twitter and Facebook for blocking President Trump. Uh, it's probably unenforceable. Experts say it violates not only Section 230, but it also the First Amendment. You might have heard of that. It also violates the constitutional uh, restriction on uh, states regulating interstate commerce. According to the bill, social media sites will be fined a quarter million dollars for every day after two weeks that a statewide political candidate is banned. Wonder who that might be, um, but here's some good news. Unless you're an amusement park <laughs> in Florida, <laughs> so there's that. I mean, there's always got to be the Disney provision. Yeah, exempt from the Stop Media Censorship Act, one of the state's largest employers, Walt Disney Corp. If you own a theme park or entertainment venue larger than 25 acres. <laughs> okay, well, there's an obvious solution to this. Twitter has to open a theme park. Yeah, I think Facebook... Could be hell on earth. Facebook uh, Festival. We'll just buy 25 acres of swamp, swamp land. And invite, invite, <laughs> change nothing about it. Change nothing about it. It's a theme park. People park. love it. Put up a stuff airboat rides around the swamp. Of being yeah, yeah. Maybe some Instagram influencer photo stops. And you're set. Uh, so, d- obviously, this was Disney. By the way, uh, Comcast is also protected. They own Universal Studios Resort, of course. So, uh, if they uh, if they want to start a social network, go ahead, ban any politicians you want. Uh, I almost I almost didn't cover that this week for the, the reason that you said that, like, there's no way this will, on, on impact, this will not f- fly through the courts. But then at the same time, like, using that, as a sort of loophole to protect the, you know, Disney um, and and, and stuff. so blatant. 
well, that's like, but that's so also dumb because it's like you don't think these other people have enough money that if you really held their feet to the fire, they wouldn't be able to buy what is it, Wiki Watchy, uh, uh, Sea World. There's a bunch of stuff that could be had on the cheap, and they they have plenty of money to. Well, do maybe that that's kind of maybe that's the secret plan is to mm. get some of these dying <laughs> these other acre parks. Jack parks. Dorsey and Mark Zuckerberg <laughs> yeah. to invest in Florida. Yeah, land. exactly. Uh, it's Ron DeSantis, by the way, not Rick. Ron DeSantis uh, signed this earlier this week, and it was immediately challenged, of course, by a number of uh, industry groups, including NetChoice and the CCIA, which represent Amazon, Google, Intel, Samsung, Facebook, and other tech giants. Uh, they're gonna, they're gonna, I think, have it. It'll be taken down. And I don't think. I think they knew that. I think DeSantis knew it. I think the legislature knew it. That's not the point of this at all. Twitter might be spending some money to buy an amusement park with this, the $2.99 monthly subscription service for Twitter Blue. You signing up for this, Paris? You all excited? I don't even know what this is, but I, I will, is the answer. <laughs> I spend, I've checked Twitter twice during this current segment. You were directing people to um, a pottery place. Somebody, somebody yeah, needs pots for plants. in Brooklyn. It's really yeah. great. Oh, I was directing someone to. That's a different pottery. There's a great uh, plant store called Natty Garden in Brooklyn. One of my friends, Davy Alba, uh, at the Times, apparently Home Depot in Brooklyn's out of terracotta plants. So, I had to give her the hookup. Well, wait a minute. Let me check the timestamp on this. You did this six minutes ago. Wait a yes. minute. <laughs> that, was, that was actually during the break. Oh, okay, okay. That's what that's what uh, those ads are for. For you to tweet. Uh, I know. The- <laughs> I'm taking advantage. I'll pay two ninety nine to tweet. So the idea, I guess, uh, it kind of we've heard it being floated around, but it's been confirmed because it is an in app purchase listed in the app store on iOS. Uh, Twitter Blue, it even is called Twitter Blue, $2.99. We don't know exactly uh, why uh, or what you would get for two ninety nine. Some say you'll Apparently get... Apparently you can undo tweets. Undo tweets. You which, know, you know, how is that different from just deleting a tweet? Because um, you might wish no one had even seen it ever. In fact, it most you tweets. Delete other people's replies. To no, it, it gives you one of those countdown things. That's all it is. You don't yeah. really. It's like Gmail. We're taking back mail. You don't actually exactly. send exactly. it until yeah. the countdown okay. is over. Honestly, uh, that's an incredible feature, though. I've used that on send many times. <laughs> There'll be a reader I'd rather mode. Rather just have an edit button. Uh, nope, not gonna happen. There'll be a reader mode that makes it easier to read long threads. There's I just want a built-in feature to auto-delete my tweets. I understand that may be counter to Twitter's whole thing, but I'd pay ten ninety-nine for an auto, yeah, like a built-in yeah. tweet. I've used I've used third third-party uh, tools to do that. Yeah, same. Yeah. But you have to, you know, it's hard. If you ever change your two-fact, you have yeah. to reset it up. It's, it's rate limited. It takes time. That's, Doesn't get everything. That, that's. That's kind of like back in the old days when we used to get phone books, and if you wanted your phone number to be you unlisted, to yeah. you had to pay the phone yeah. company an extra three dollars a month, you know, to be unlisted. I think I'm still paying three dollars a month. I don't even have a phone, so I should probably check that subscription. <laughs> you should probably yes. Uh, now they have that online with um, all those websites. Do not like call. Yeah, the find not, my yeah. Per, like if you want to get your phone number and address. But you got to do them one by one, right? Is there a... Is oh, and it's very annoying. And most of them you have to call a live person and then talk to them. Really bad. I just give up. That's why I give up. Anybody wants to know anything about me, 
fine. Hack his uh, Nest Cam or whatever. Hey, stop it. You don't have to hack it. I've given out the password online. <laughs> it's no, it's hacking, on Sidewalk, it's on, yeah. It's on Sidewalk. Just sit, yeah, just go sit on the Sidewalk yeah, just, and, and t- uh, tap into the lower Just has to peddle him a PD for the tapes. They'll send them to you. <laughs> Uh, you also get uh, new color themes to choose from, custom app icons. You know, this is really just like what we did with Club Twit. I mean, we give you stuff. There's ad-free and, you know, there's a Twit Plus feed. There's the Discord, which actually turns out to really be a value. But honestly, it's just a way to support Twit. And I think that's what Twit, Twitter Blue is or Blue Twit, whatever it is. Twitter there were Blue. better search features. I'd pay yeah, for It's all little ads, de minimis stuff. You know. But really, it's just because you use Twitter. Yeah, you say, I love Twitter. I'll pay the money. Yeah. 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 It is interesting to me. If it gets rid of the really terrible ads I get on Twitter, then I might just do it. They don't say anything about no ads. (laughs) So that's the thing. It's like, it's interesting to me about how tiny they're going with this so it's 2.99 right and they're basically giving you skins like this is you know Fortnite or something like that yeah. um i want a whereas, dance move i want at least i want a dance move but i mean what we're saying and what you're joking about is that we're all twitter power users so that that's what twitter's all, like twitter gave up the ghost of trying to be a new facebook you know a long long time ago they just have a super committed core yeah. So why don't you just, just charge them? Charge through committed, the nose for addicted. the super committed core. Yeah. Well, th- there's 350 million monthly active users. Uh, if 10 percent pay three dollars a month, that's a gajillion bucks. <laughs> but what I'm saying is, is <laughs> if a half if a half of one percent were willing to pay twenty dollars a month to then get rid of ads, get them. Yeah. 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 I tell you, we're very happy with Club Twit because uh, there are people who say, I don't want ads or I don't want to be tracked. That's another big one. And uh, and so they pay seven bucks a month. They get ad free. And what it really turned out to be is a really great uh, community in the Discord server, which is a lot of fun. But I th- honestly, it's just a way to support something you like and you want to you want to support. I would pay $15 a month for a ad free yeah. Twitter that had yeah. drastically exactly. improved search options. Well, they took, I find they took searching through. Yeah. Yeah. I just fi- I find searching through Twitter. It ends up being valuable for reporting sometimes. But if I could actually search with any specificity and without it being incredibly difficult, I would pay a lot of money for that. I'd pay a buck fifty a month if they make sure they never bring Trump back. That'd be worth it, <laughs> <laughs> just by itself. No more. You could pay to block other people. No yeah, more orange tweets. Oh yeah. <laughs> if we, if a hundred thousand people pay us five dollars, we'll block Leo. <laughs> That would be money in the bank. Absolutely. Yeah, you could do a stun, Leo, where if listeners wanted you to be offline for the week, everybody could just pay five bucks. Yeah. No. Make a killing. <laughs> well, if they gave Leo a cut, if they gave Leo a cut. Yeah, who are they pay paying the Leo's five bucks cruise. to? You. They'll pay you five oh, bucks yeah, to I'll do log that. off. Sure, why not? I'll log off. Thank you very much. Uh uh, let's see, what else? How about let's talk about the uh, F one fifty. You uh you got to this is this is actually a big deal the electric Ford F150 cuz this is this is the most po- popular truck in America I think it is the the F series is the most popular vehicle of any kind in America wow. and it has been for like 40 years it, wow they sell Ford sells more F series than anything any other type of vehicle in fact they say that the F series alone if you if if that was a separate business by itself 
that would be a $42 billion a year business in revenue, which is bigger than a lot of companies. So making an all-electric version of it, is this Ford doing what the government wants it to do or is do they see this as a way to transition i see you know gm says we're going electric uh, volkswagen says we're going electric is how much of that is because they think there's demand for it it doesn't seem like there's a lot of consumer demand for it i'll be honest especially among the truck driving public yeah well i mean well we don't know what the we don't really know what the demand is from the truck driving public because there's never been an electric truck in in right. any volume before, so it is so, an experiment in a way. Yeah, um, you know, to that end, you know, in the first week, you know, Ford had something like seventy thousand reservations for the F one fifty Lightning. So yeah, I mean, they, it is partly driven by regulation, but you know, it's also you know they're seeing where the market is going, you know, and increasingly the market it, it's slow, but it's it's creeping up. You know, EV sales are creeping up steadily. And, you know, especially this year, uh, you know, we're going to get a whole bunch of new EVs coming into the market. Right now, there's about 20 uh, EVs available in the U.S. market. And, you know, the, the number of market segments they're in is fairly limited. But what we're starting to see is more EVs coming into the segments where most people are actually buying vehicles like compact and mid-sized crossovers um, and and trucks, of course. You know, Rivian's going to start deliveries. They've said they're going to start deliveries of their truck in July. Um, you know, uh, the GMC Hummer EV is coming out later this fall. The F-150 next spring uh, Some at some point. Possibly the Cybertruck uh, from Tesla, you know, and and also uh, Chevrolet has said they're going to do an electric version of the Silverado, where the where the Lightning is different from a lot of those others, except for maybe the Silverado. Is Ford's really targeting its core customers, you know, the the, the most hardcore customers they have for that truck, which is their commercial customers. Ah, that's you know, interesting because we usually think of. Yeah. The truck driving individual as somebody who's not going to be interested in an electric vehicle. Uh, perhaps they're rural. There's no charging stations. Uh, they're you know they're rolling coal. They like the idea of smoke coming out of the back for whatever reason. But use commercial. They may be a little bit more sensitive to pricing to, and and they may it may be a little easier for them to put in electric charging stations. Cheaper, so cheaper, cheaper maintenance costs. Yeah, if you have a yep, fleet of that's these a things. Big one. Yeah. The other thing, right, so again, this is not my space, but when I did the segment on it last week, that was the thing that impressed me about it is that, so the headline was that, okay, it's got a battery in it that could um, keep your house charged if you had a blackout for three days. But the other thing is, is there's something like seven um, like electrical ports all over the thing so that, number one, if you if you're running a business that you know, has a fleet of 30 of these things and you're going to job sites and construction sites, not only over the course of the life of the vehicle, maybe is there less maintenance cost, but also that's useful if you can go to a job site and plug in all sorts of tools and things like that into, into this thing. And that's, that's one of the key things that Ford is promoting. You know, they, 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 last year when they launched the hybrid version of the F-150, they launched this pro power on board where the electric motor that's in there, you know, becomes a generator because for a lot of those commercial customers, a lot of times, you know, they're hauling along a gas generator in the bed of the truck. So that's one more piece of gear that they've got to haul along. They've got to bring gas for that. 
that's you know you know those things you know generally are polluting more than the engines in modern vehicles so now you've got this source of electricity you know that's in the case of the the lightning you know you've got you know, a lot of juice available they did a demo uh, you can get up to 9.6 kilowatts out of this thing with from 11 outlets including a 240 volt outlet so they had a demo running when i was there showing you know a whole bunch of shop lights a cement mixer um an air compressor a miter saw you know a bunch of other tools all running at the same time you know drawing off of this thing which is you know for for you know a contractor working at a job site you know or you know charging recharging their tools that's 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 a really important feature to have for those kinds of customers I feel like that would be a really important feature also for uh, like long haul commercial truck drivers or anybody who is having to kind of live within the vehicle um, for weeks at a time. Kind of having that extra output available would be invaluable. Oh, absolutely. I mean, you know, the challenge with, with long haul trucking, though, you know, is the the battery size you need for a, ve- a long haul truck is so large, you know, that it starts to eat into the payload capability of the, of the truck, you know, cause mm-hmm. the long haul trucking, they, um, they make their revenue based on how many pounds of freight they're carrying. And if you've got a 10,000 pound battery that you're hauling along, that's, that's about 8,000 pounds more than a diesel powertrain. So that's 8,000 pounds less payload you can carry. So it, yeah, and I guess in many there are still not areas, as good yet, but are there not? Yeah. I, I guess the question I had was, um, what's the saturation like of charging stations um, in America right now, outside of metropolitan areas, especially with this um, Ford F one fifty truck uh, appealing to rural it's, customers? Would that be harder? It's it's growing. I mean, there's over a hundred thousand public charging stations now in the U S. and you know, part of the the Biden infrastructure plan, they want to add another 500,000 um, by the end of the decade. And, you know, from there's, there's probably going to be more than that, you know, by the end of this decade. But, um, you know, for a lot of the commercial customers, you know, a lot of times these, these trucks will either be, uh, you know, they're, they're operating in a local area. They're not operating long distances. Um, so, you know, for the rural customers, I mean, you know, maybe for somebody working on a farm, um, you know, where they can charge at home, you know, the, if they're, if they're driving around on the farm, then this, this truck could certainly be worthwhile for them. Um, you know, and a lot of the commercial customers in urban and suburban areas, they're, you know, they're, they're driving no more than, um, I think from their, their telemetry data, Ford said that 95% of the users are driving less than 175 miles even a day. A tr- even in a truck. Huh. That's yeah, even a truck. Yeah. You know, so, I mean, you know, a lot of these, you know, carpenters, electricians, yeah, to the uh, job landscapers. Site yeah. 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 And so they're returning to the same base every night where right. they can plug in and charge, you know, or in many cases, you know, returning, you know, the, the, their t- take home vehicles that the, the, the workers. We charge ours with solar panels. So it's, yeah. it's actually very economical once you pay for the solar panels. But uh, uh, I could see that even, you know, if in a farm in a rural area, you put in some solar panels and you charge your own truck, you're, you're going to, in the long run, you're going to save money. Uh, plus, it's yeah, got some well, real benefits. I mean, you've got a lot of power in that thing. They said, what, 300 miles with a thousand pound load? Yeah. So, um, you know, and. It's got a, a 2,000 pound payload capability. So, you know, with half of that, it can still go over 300 miles. And one of the, one of the interesting things that Ford recently launched on their regular F 150s is onboard scales. Um, so they've actually got sensors underneath the bed of the truck 
between the frame and the bed that as you load up the the truck with stuff uh you can you can actually um know how much stuff you're putting in there and then the range estimation system oh, actually knows. takes that into account oh that's cool yeah, yeah. so when you've put 500 or 1000 or 2000 pounds in the in the truck you know, it will automatically adjust your range estimate so you have a more accurate range estimation. Or if you hook up a trailer, they've, you know, they've got a smart trailer hitch. Same thing. It know, it, it'll tell you what your, what your real range is more likely to be. That's pretty cool. Yeah. I, is it possible, though, if this truck is a flop that they could set back the EV industry? Uh, it's certainly possible. I don't think it will be. Um, you know, I think it'll sell pretty well because, you know, for, as Brian mentioned, you know, operating costs are a big factor for commercial customers because they tend to drive a lot more miles. Right. Um, and it's a much bigger proportion of their total expense, you know, the service and fuel, um, you know, it's the, you know, is a much bigger part of the total cost of ownership. And when you go electric, you know, if it fits within your, operating use case, then you can save a hell of a lot of money. And Ford is pricing this thing very aggressively. The, the base work truck version starts at $40,000 for a four-wheel drive crew cab. And the equivalent gasoline version uh, of that is actually $2,500 more. And that's before the any tax incentives. So, I mean, you could potentially get one of these in the low $30,000. Are they... Well, that's interesting. Are they absorbing the costs? It should... The battery alone is a huge expense on these things, isn't it? Yeah, there's the been a lot of. Is it? Yeah, there's been a lot of progress on battery costs, bringing battery costs down, and so um, you know they're they're actually expecting this thing to be profitable. You know, uh, Leo, you said at the beginning. Uh, that oh are they doing this because the government is telling them to do like uh, Sam, I, I use I lived in Detroit for a period of time and and Sam and I off air were talking about somebody in the industry that we both know and my sense from the people that I still know in Detroit in in the auto industry it, they're not doing this because of any pressure like literally everybody drank the Kool Aid in the last decade or so and every single one of them and sam i'm 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 kind of asking you this like the, the industry believes that this is the future they're they're skating to where they think the puck is going right yeah absolutely you know the the progress that's been made on on batteries improving the battery capabilities and reducing the battery cost you know has gotten to the point where they they now think that you know part of the reason why they were slow to adopt this is because they there wasn't enough consumer demand and it, the cost was too high and they, they couldn't make a business case for it. But now that's flipped around. You know, they, they're, they're at the point where they're starting to be able to make these things profitably. Um, and in some cases, like the F-150, you know, they also use – there's a lot of shared componentry with the regular F-150. So they've got a lot of scale, um, you know, right off the bat. And they, they really do believe that, you know, there's, there's a, a solid business case for these things. And so they're going all in on electric. You know, almost every major automaker uh, is going down this path and, and including getting into building their own batteries. You know, they're, instead of buying them from suppliers, building their own batteries uh, in-house. You know, Ford's doing it, GM's doing it, Volkswagen's doing it, Stellantis is doing it. Every, you know, most of the major automakers are going down this path. It's funny. I'm, I guess I'm a... Uh so on the one hand, I love electric vehicles. I like driving them, and I've owned a, a number of them. We have a Bolt. We have a Mustang from Ford. We have a, a – uh, I had a Tesla. So I like them personally, but I also feel like there's a very strong anti-EV sentiment 
in the country, and there's a lot of skepticism about EVs. And it seems to me that the biggest segment is the, the of skeptics is the, is the truck driving public. So I'll be watching with the great interest. I have to say, it does seem like I mean, you're starting to see more and more charging stations. Our little town here in Petaluma became the first in the nation to ban new construction of gas stations, which I think is probably a good thing. Uh, and I noticed that every single office park in our neighborhood is putting in chargers. So when you get to work, you can charge your vehicle. I see more and more of those. So I've, maybe the world is changing. I just I, well, I feel skeptical. I like it, but I, I feel like yeah. this, this well, is... Uh, no, I, I think you're also, right, Leo. Go ahead. Say, go ahead. Uh, aren't, there, aren't, there, aren't there countries around the world that are have passed laws at like by 2030 well, that, or 2040? Yeah, sure, yes, Norway right. and so forth. But yeah, also yeah. The, somebody but in the chat was saying... they don't buy very many pickup trucks, though. Right. <laughs> somebody <laughs> saying that, this is, that China is the country that these countries, yeah. the companies are really paying attention to. Is that the case? Yeah, China and Europe both you know, are where the, the big EV growth has been. Um, but, you know, uh, Leo, you were mentioning, you know, there's still there's still a lot of people that, you know, don't like EVs. And that that's true. You know, there there, there is a certain portion of the population that thinks it's a terrible idea. Uh, but for I think for a lot of people, they make a lot of sense and especially for businesses. And this is why Ford, you know, they, they started with the Mach-E, you know, to generate some excitement. But their next two EVs are an electric version of the Transit van and an electric version of the F-150 yeah. because they know that Those are the businesses fleet, fleet look at this yeah. from a very different yeah. perspective than consumers yeah. do. Yeah. And so a lot, a lot of attention paid to the low maintenance costs, but really electric motors require very little maintenance. And in fact, these electric cars are much less complex than ICE uh, vehicles, internal combustion Mm -hmm. engines. So really they are much better from the point of view of uh, Sam. Is it also uh, a generational thing where like they've done like the, the consumer polling and stuff like this. And they're like, well, by the way, the, the Gen Z's and beyond, um, they're going to buy, they, they want electric vehicles, so this is again like sort of like any other company where it's like, well, we're making these decisions because we want to get the eighteen to thirty-five year olds. Is that part of the thinking too? That that is definitely part of the thinking. You know, they're they're looking at you know the changing market demographics, um, you know, and and all these other factors. And you know, there's a fairly long lead time, you know, to develop a new vehicle. So you know, the things they're doing now, they're planning for the next five and ten years. You know, and that and that's you know part of what I do in my day job. You know, is forecasting this stuff and, and working with companies to help them figure out their strategies. I get regular emails from. Listeners and viewers say, oh, Leo, you think electric cars are more uh, uh, eco-friendly, but they're not. There's, what about lithium mining and recycling batteries? And what about the power you're using because it comes from a coal-fired plant? Um, <laughs> I get that constantly. I think there's a very strong drumbeat of people saying EVs are not as eco-friendly as they pretend to be. What's the truth on that? Um, it it does take more energy to produce an EV than it does to produce an, an internal combustion vehicle, but over its lifespan, if you look at the full life cycle, you know from cradle, you know from raw materials to end of, completely end of life, the overall emissions are significantly lower, even even with coal fired power. And coal fired power is significantly in decline yeah um but, you know, but, it's, but, it's but, but let's say uh, fossil fuel powered plants which are yeah. still the majority even but even then yeah, they're putting scrubbers gas. on those stacks they can they can they yeah. can do a lot to reduce emissions from those plants 
in, at one single source than in, than uh, the tailpipes of a hundred thousand cars. And and we're getting a lot more renewables all the time. There's more solar, more wind going in all the time. Well, as I said, I have uh, 60, 60 uh, solar panels on my roof. Uh, yeah. So I, I'm generating as much more electricity than we use. So I feel all right about yeah. that. But still. And and the other thing about recycling, you know, they're they're also making a lot of progress on battery recycling. You know, and as the you know, there as the number of EVs available, you know, that are they're in use goes up, there's also opportunities for second life uses of those batteries. So once you know, once maybe the battery's only got 65, 70% of its original capacity left. You take it out of a car, you put, stick it in a rack and use it for stationary storage. You know, at those DC fast charging stations, you put it in stationary storage there so you don't need as much incoming electrical capacity. And, you know, you charge up those batteries slowly and then you charge the vehicles fast from the batteries or for grid balancing. There's all kinds of ways you can use those. And then recycling. Um, VW has a pilot battery recycling plant in Germany right now, that they're able to recover 95% of the key raw materials, the cobalt, the lithium, the manganese, and the aluminum from those cells. And they basically just drop the entire battery module into what looks like a giant paper shredder. And it, it shreds it down into little strips, and then they, they, they process that, and they can get back most of those raw materials, wow. which is going to be key to, to making this transition right. because you know we don't have enough uh, processing cap- capacity for all the raw materials yet. Yeah, and this isn't going to happen overnight. So people are saying if everybody yeah. had an electric vehicle, <laughs> we'd have to fire up those coal power plants again. But yeah. this isn't going to happen overnight. This is going to be a transition. Um, and I think it's going to start with fleets, frankly, and places mm-hmm. where it makes no, a lot of sense. Yeah. Uh, from the information, SolarWinds hackers launching new attacks. Actually, it's coming from Microsoft. We'll talk about that in uh, just a little bit with our guests from the information, Paris Martineau. See, I'm really making it harder and harder for the information to buy ads on Twitter, aren't I? They just no. It's reason. true. You're just treating just yourself no, out of money. No point whatsoever. <laughs> it's always <laughs> I'll great. report back. I'll say never give any. Never money give them ads. Now. Why should you? We love the information. I'm happy to be a subscriber. It's great to have you, Paris. Uh, it's also great to have Brian McCullough. The Tech Meme Ride Home. I'm also a regular on uh, Tech Meme and the Ride Home podcast. Nice to have you and Sam Abul. Sam, as you can tell, my car guy from uh, Guide Guidehouse. Uh, Guidehouse. Put up his lower third because I can never Guidehouse remember. Insights. Thank you. Guy, they changed the name on me. <laughs> Guidehouse Insights. <laughs> Thank you. And the uh, Wheel Bearings podcast. Our show today brought to you by Podium. You know, it's funny, in the uh, in the 90s, your business had to have, if you were going to be modern, you had to have an email address, right? By the 2000s, you had to have a website. By 2010, you had to have a Twitter account or a Facebook account. In 2021, I'm telling you, your business needs to be texting. You need Podium. It's the easiest, fastest, simplest way to add texting to your communications with your customers. And by the way, and I'll say it for myself, customers prefer texts to emails or phone calls. It's just the easiest way to stay in touch. Podium is a messaging platform that will power your business. It helps you reach your customers where they want to be reached. Business messaging with Podium can be used to gain reviews, to collect payments, 
to communicate with customers, to offer them coupons, to welcome them back, to invite them back, to capture leads, and all from one inbox, which is really great. Your employees will love that. Podium helps you adapt to the changing world of communications. It's constantly changing. And I, I will say, and I don't know, uh, you know, if I'm an early adopter, I think I'm not. I think this is pretty much universal. If I find out a business can text, I'm going to use that. It's just easier for me. I'd much prefer to make an appointment with my hairdresser, uh, to, to give a review to my dentist when it comes through a text. In fact, it happened to me the other day. I left the dentist's office and they said, hey, leave us a review. And because the link was right there, it was very easy. I did it. Podium is really great for local businesses, for small businesses, for tennis offices and, and stores and salons. With Podium reviews, you can easily text customers to get them to leave an online review. And it, that'll really help in so many ways. With search results, it'll, it'll drive customers. You know, 98% of text messages are open. 98%. That's compared to 20% of emails. That's, in fact, exactly how South Tampa Family and Cosmetic Dentistry used it. Dr. Wyatt down there said they were able to generate 1,200 reviews with Podium. And by the way, must be pretty good. They got 4.9 stars. Dr. Wyatt said the number of walk-ins as a result of our reviews has skyrocketed. Before we were seeing maybe 50 to 100 new patients a month. Now we're seeing closer to 200 a month. You could do it, generate leads. America's CarMart generated 21,000 leads using web chat right on their website. It's another way you can use Podium. Before Podium... They said we had a contact us form. It could be days before anybody got back to that customer because, well, frankly, it was complicated. Our response time is cut down to minutes. It's one of the nice things about Podium. Podium Web Chat lets website visitors text with your team right from your homepage. There's, there's video chat, too, Podium Video Chat. You get paid fast over text with Podium Payments. And, of course, it all comes together with Podium Inbox, which keeps leads warm. And lets it uh, lets you easily respond to feedback all in one place. Podium's got a full team in place to answer questions, to walk you through everything. Find out how Podium can help your business reach more customers. Get started free today. Podium, P-O-D-I-U-M, podium.com slash twit. The ultimate text messaging platform. It's the new way to be in touch. And customers love it. Podium.com. Slash twit. We thank them so much for their support of uh, this week at tech. We thank you for supporting us by uh, by using that uh, address so they know you saw it here. Podium.com slash twit. Solar winds back in the news. I thought I thought we beat this one. Solar winds hackers launching new attacks, according to Microsoft. This we know that Solar Winds is Russian state sponsored hackers. Uh, they broke into a lot of uh, public and private sector organizations last year. Now, according to Microsoft, they're going after international development, humanitarian, and human rights organizations. Uh, phishing emails they've sent out to 3,000 people at 150 organizations. They contain links once clicked that would enable hackers to steal data and infect other computers. Nobelium is at work again. That's the uh, the tool. Or actually, that's the Russian state-sponsored uh, hacking group. Yeah, but you'll notice, what are they targeting? The human rights uh, NGOs that would be critical of a certain country. Yeah. It's definitely a political uh, action arm for uh, Putin, right? Yep. Yeah. 
It's kind of amazing. I wonder if it's related to the Belarusian uh, uh, re- rerouting of that uh, Ryan airplane from Greece. Yeah, but correct me if I'm wrong, because you probably covered this here on, on Twitter more, but um, the, the problem with the SolarWinds hack is they were there for a long time, so we don't know all the booby traps and sort of right. hidey holes. That, that they could, like, they just... <clears throat> They just turned this one on, but this could go on for years. Like we find out later, oh, they turned this little booby trap on or back door on later to do this thing. You know, it's really interesting. This is in the Microsoft blog post that these Russian-sponsored state hackers really are—they're—they're <laughs> they're a political action arm uh, of the Putin government at the height of the COVID pandemic. Um, Strontium-related uh, <laughs> sponsored hacking. Uh, uh, groups targeted healthcare organizations involved with vaccines. In 2019, they targeted sporting and anti-doping organizations. Remember, Russia was getting a lot of heat for, in fact, their uh, their uh, national teams were banned in some uh, events because of doping. Um, they've been targeting elections in the U.S. and elsewhere. Microsoft says this is an example of how cyber attacks have become a tool of choice for a growing number of nation states to accomplish a wide variety of political objectives. So I had um, I interviewed the CISO or whatever head muckety muck over at Cyber Reason, one of these mm-hmm. you know about mm-hmm. ransomware stuff, and and the analogy that he used, he's like, this is the perfect put on history hat now. <laughs> this is the perfect analogy is to actual piracy back in the day, right? When, like. Queen Elizabeth would allow right, people to go out on the boats. Right. That's right. And you had plausible deniability, but they're freebooters. But then if you, like, robbed the Spanish galleon fleet, uh, Queen Elizabeth wouldn't be mad at you, you know? Yeah. Um, that's a really it, good point. So he's like, this is the direct analogy where – and he's like, you know this because basically we know that the word went out that you guys can do all of this dirt on your own account – as long as when we ask you to do a favor for us, yeah. that favor gets done. Yeah. And one of the reasons that they know that is, and several security experts said this, like if you put the Cyrillic al- alphabet, if you install that on your yeah, computer, yeah, the, because uh, they, yeah, they were told not the Russian to. Russian keyboards. Yeah. They were, they were told you cannot hack anybody internally. So when they go out and they look for targets, if you have a Cyrillic alphabet loaded onto your computer, they, they keep on moving because they don't want to attack anybody internally. This, by the way, is not necessarily a recommended mitigation <laughs> for hacking, but the ransomware that was used against the uh, Colonial Pipeline folks and, there, and other ransomware apparently looks for the installed international keyboard, the virtual keyboard, for a variety of uh, Russian-aligned states. And some some think it's just a way of avoiding scrutiny by the police, but I think you're closer to the fact that that's just like a little hint. You know, like, we're we're, we're the good guys. Don't mess with us. Yeah. Uh, Brian Krebs, I think, had that story. and uh, The people who discovered it said... Don't don't assume that this will work forever. <laughs> but it couldn't hurt. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, install the uh, Russian keyboard. Why not? Why not? Isn't that hysterical? Uh, let's see. Let me. I was just trying to find that. Uh, yeah, here it is. It, there's a list on uh, Krebs on security of the uh, keyboards that will work just for your just for your own edification. Russian, Ukrainian, Belarusian, Tajik. 
from Tajik. All your listeners are going to be installing the... uh, Get the Azerbaijani keyboard. It's really nice. Georgian, Kazakh, Kyrgyz, Turkmenistan, Uzbek, Tartar, Romanian, Russian, Azerbaijani, Uzbek, and... uh, Oh, interesting. uh, Arabic, but that's because of Syria, right? Uh, Very interesting. Your, Your dark side ransomware, your our evil ransomware will not work on those. It'll say, oh... You're you're cool. You're the you're in with the cool kids. I'm sad. Charlie bit my finger is no longer on YouTube. But he is an NFT. Yes, somebody bought him for get ready for this seven hundred sixty one thousand dollars. Honestly, good for the Charlie bit my finger people. Yeah, they got they, some money. They can have that. Yeah. Here's the we they, can all this, watch Charlie bit really... my finger. It still exists. <laughs> it hasn't gone just away. It's not on the original YouTube link. <laughs> Everybody made care. a copy. Yeah, is this and really they got money more than the greater fool theory. Um, well, I would. I mean, I'm sure that uh, Collector Three F Music doesn't feel that way. <laughs> they. Uh, he also as long as he can find a greater fool. Oh yeah, if he can only find somebody to buy it, he also owns the NFTs for Disaster Girl and overly attached girlfriend memes. What's the overly attached girlfriend meme? How do you she not just, know the overly attached yeah. girlfriend meme? That's the overly attached girlfriend meme. <laughs> just that image. But see, I can't even probably... Sh- now, what does it mean I can't show it? Because uh, No, you can show it. They just That's like showing a photo of the Mona Lisa, you know? Oh, you it's okay. They it. own it. It's just not the yeah. one in the museum. Yeah. <laughs> uh, wow. So The art market is wild. It is. It is wild. And... I've I've mixed I have mixed feelings about this. We've talked a lot about NFTs, and we had Trey Ratcliffe on. He's a great photographer who's sold some of his own art through NFTs, and he points out it's no different than baseball cards. Um, it's no different than the art world at large, which is yeah. really people paying exorbitant yeah. sums of money uh, to artists for <laughs> a ver- variety of reasons. The only downside is. Obviously, the environmental impact for some of these NFTs uh, is quite large, and that needs to be addressed. Right. Also, a hundred years ago, Marcel Duchamp hung a urinal on a. That's right. On a wall, and like, if if I were investing in the NFT stuff, I'd go with the meme stuff because what we're sort of learning is that memes are the currency of right now. So, like, if I had this money to throw around that I was like, I'll throw it at NFTs, I, this, is, this is probably the smartest investor right now buying up all these, these meme MFTs. By the way, Yeah, you, that's going to be in the MoMA one day. This, the, it could be. This is yeah, in the Tate. <laughs> yeah, I've seen it. I love it. I've seen that in person. It's Listen, a, that's art, Leo. Actually, the art is the name, which is Fountain. <laughs> that's, where the, that's where the real... The real art uh, comes from actually the one uh, in the Tate <laughs> is a, is a yeah isn't that funny is a replica. No, somebody in, uh, Gary L in the chat says, "How much for the Harlem Shake breaking table?" Uh, NFT? Oh wow! <laughs> People have told me I should get. In fact, uh, John, uh, our studio, you should not get into NFT. Gave me, gave me a list of like original uh, Twit podcasts. I could say, "Hey, you Leo, own- Leo, I hate to the tell you, this. yoga ball." <laughs> yes, Leo, if you Google it. I minted the first uh, did podcast episode NFT. Yeah, I did it two and a half months ago did or whatever. Did you make any money? I sold it for, I think, 30. If, well, there's 10 available. 
I sold one for thirty five, the equivalent of thirty five dollars, and it cost me seventy five dollars in gas fees to <laughs> to do that. So. By the way, that's who's making money on NFTs is the people who do the minting because you have to pay a fee to mint it. And they, you know, this is like selling a, a star or something. Yeah, basically. yeah. Mm. I I bought some real estate on the moon once. Yeah. Do not. Elon Musk is coming for that. Yeah. Actually, I have bought some of those things, stars and so forth. I guess that's worthless, but makes you feel good. Do not, if you're a drug dealer, post a picture of your favorite cheese, in this case, a mature blue Stilton, with your fingers visible. The police used the fingerprints visible in the picture to arrest Carl Stewart. He posted the picture on EncroChat where he had also oh been God. selling MDMA, ketamine, heroin, cocaine. And posting photos of his favorite cheese. And, well, you know, it's important that uh, you, you, you build a rapport with your customers. How the heck should they decode <laughs> his fingerprints from that blurry image? This looks really blurry, but maybe the original is a little less blurry. I don't know. They were if you're going to take a photo of your fingers holding mature blue Stilton, use a potato camera. There you go. Bad exactly. camera yeah. means safe drug dealer. According to the National Crime Agency, EncroChat, where he posted it was used exclusively by criminals <laughs> and cheese lovers. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, National Crime Agency can also stand for National Cheese Agency. NCA. It's not the first time this has happened. Uh, in 2010, a guy was sentenced to prison for hand uh, for uh, uh, f posting a photograph on his phone. Oh no, they found a photograph on his phone. He didn't post it, holding rare stolen watches, and they could see the fingerprints. Wait a minute, I should hide my fingerprints. Um, <laughs> You've all, we've all just got to wear little, uh, little caps, thumb on gloves, little kind thumb of like gloves. A, yeah, you know, dog booties in the rain. Actually, I've been cautioned many times not to hold up my keys because it is apparently uh, trivial to take a picture of a key. Don't hold it up, Leo. Oh. Sorry, this doesn't open anything. It is apparently trivial. <laughs> yeah, look at that. John's taking taking the shot from de great distance, but apparently trivial to take I'm that picture and, and make a three D printed object out of it that actually unlocks things. Because aren't there aren't there only a certain number of key combinations? That's why you can go to any hardware store oh, and have them cut keys for you. Okay. All right. Are you? Did you ever consider uh, using uh, Apple's podcast subscription? Uh, for uh, the tech meme ride home, or not yet, not yet, or and, and because I think it's 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 horrible as currently constituted. But well, it's an Apple only thing. Uh, Apple is delaying the launch of their podcast subscriptions to June to quote ensure the best experience for creators and listeners. It was funny. It was literally less than a week after we announced Club Twit that Apple announced they were going to do this. But after I looked, I mean, at clearly it, I thought, they're listening. They must be. They must have gotten the idea from me. Sure, sure. I mean, uh, I think I've said this even before on Twitter. I am a big Apple Podcast user, and it is terrible as a platform. It's not good. They need to fix it. Well, but you still use it. I still use it because the barrier to transfer over all your podcasts to another yeah. app is a lot, and especially because a lot of the podcasts I listen to. Um, 
I subscribe to support the podcast through Patreon, and then I'm given an RSS code link that I can upload exactly. through Apple Podcasts, but I can't do it on Spotify. Right. And, you know, but am I going to go for a third-party app? Who has the talent? We, I know, I we know, have but that, if I'm going to choose another you can, one, You can I export an research. OPML file. Paris That's what and I was going to say. Oh! <laughs> Who has the time? Paris and Brian and Sam, we're going to send you complimentary subscriptions to Club Twit. And if you yeah. want Paris, you, you, you'd have to do that. You have to you either get a QR code or you upload the RSS link and uh, then you can subscribe. It'll be in my Apple podcast. Add free version. We, uh, we get that a lot. People say, oh, I can't do it in Spotify. That's right. We, po- we pocket cast work with a QR code. It's, uh, it's, but yeah, OPML is your best friend. We all learned about OPML when Google killed Reader. That was the only way out. I feel like I've heard more about Reader since Google killed it than I ever did I know, when I was alive. That's true. <laughs> People love to talk about how Google killed Reader, but no one loved Reader when and it now, was around. And now Google's announcing that they're putting uh, RSS subscriptions back in Chrome. So go figure. It's not a very good system. It just you can say subscribe or follow this RSS feed, and it'll show you in the in the new tab. It'll show you a card from that particular feed. Um, you mentioned, and I, this was one of our stories, Amazon ad revenue is now twice as big as Snap, Twitter, Roku, and Pinterest combined. It is a huge ad giant growing faster than anybody else. And this goes back to what we're talking at the top of the show about antitrust action, something that the uh, House Judiciary Committee zeroed in on quite a bit in their report on Amazon is the practice that part of... Amazon's big ad sales is two sellers wanting to promote their own products and uh, get them higher up in the page than Amazon products, which even in a lot of cases, Amazon ends up putting their own product next to the buy button for these promoted products. But it uh, is a big booming part of Amazon's business. Yeah. And if if Amazon is already charging the VIG just to use the platform and then now there's the tax for the ads, then again, in theory, even if you do go back to the old, well, this is bad for consumers because of prices. Well, that's a price. That's a cost that's being passed on to consumers just to make sure that you can be found right. on the biggest platform. Oh, right? and, and you know who does the, and the same thing? And they can't lower. Apple. Apple. Exactly. Yep. App Store. Yeah. I feel like Apple, people are starting to, you know, I don't know who's stimulating all of this interest. But after Apple turned on the ability to turn off app tracking, a lot of people set up and said, you know, Apple's also tracking you. Um, maybe maybe Mark Zuckerberg is secretly uh, sending us brainwaves. I don't know. See, uh, this is the reason why you can't get seven different colored iMacs, Leah. Oh, shoot. Tim Apple just picked up the Forget phone. Forget I like, mentioned Cut that. Leo off. <laughs> no, I don't want seven color IMAX. It's fine. <laughs> he wants a special eighth color iridescent. Hey, I think we've come to the end of this fabulous show. Paris, it's great to have you. Uh, anything you want to plug? Of course, you're right for the information, which everybody should join. Oh, shoot. I'm. I'm really bad at this stuff. <laughs> yeah, keep talking up the information so we don't have to buy ads for you. And uh, follow me on Twitter at Paris Martin. Now you can see all the tweets that I send while on the show. While on the show, ladies and gentlemen. No, only <laughs> during the breaks. Only during the commercials. The yeah. information promo code TWIT, right? Yeah, promo code TWIT. There you go. <laughs> That's going to really puzzle Jessica. She said, why are we getting all these people trying to use an offer code? I don't understand it. Can you want to explain, Paris, what your uh, header 
on Twitter, what that comes from, doing tweets. What is what is all that? Oh, this is a, so the background image, which is a conspiracy board, lots of red string, is originally um, from Sunny in Philadelphia. Oh um, boy, yep. And it is the kind of conspiracy board one, and then superimposed over a uh, character's face is a cartoon image of my face from my Wired illustration when I was there. And in the center of all the red string and the conspiracy board is the phrase "doing tweets," because <laughs> that's where every conspiracy leads. To. <laughs> I'm glad you explained. That a yeah, little, little of exegesis of Paris Martineau's Twitter header. Everybody should have to explain their Twitter header. It's true. I mean, I think it's an essential part. <laughs> now, uh, go ahead and follow them. Thanks for being here, Paris. Brian McCullough, uh, he is, of course, the uh, lead at Tech Memes Ride Home podcast, a must listen. It's easy to find. Go to techmeme.com, but then add it to your you know favorite podcast application. Just search uh, search Ride Home and you'll get there. Ride Home brings you to the place you want to be every day. Not even just not, Monday through Friday. Every day well, now. Well, no, 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 no. Uh, and I'm not doing one tomorrow, so don't don't bug me tomorrow. <laughs> but uh, every weekday, let's say, with uh, very, very common uh, weekend bonus episodes. And what's your Twitter handle? Is it Brian MCC? Brian MCC, if you want to, uh, you know what? This show's been all about Brooklyn. If if I have to explain my header, that is a sign. <laughs> that's the Kentile Floors sign that they tore down about three years ago. But every time on the F train when you would go in towards the city, it would go. It goes above ground to go over the Gowanus Canal, and you had that Kentile Floors sign. And uh, hopefully, someone preserved it somewhere because it was great. What you really need is arrows pointing, red arrows pointing to it, and. You know, doing tweets on the building side. That would really, yeah, yeah, yeah. that would make just, it. Um, in all lights as you're going by the train, it just says tweets. Just to remind you as you're breathing in the toxic fumes of Gowanus. <laughs> Gowanus really is a, is a photogenic city, I gotta, I gotta say. Yeah. Really, really looking good there, Gowanus. The biggest super, super fun, fun site. site, yes, in the world or something is like it that. Really? <laughs> Holy it cow. is. Yeah. yeah. What? You'll grow a third arm if you jump in the canal. Oh, God. And of of course, uh, my good friend uh, and my car guy, Sam Abul Samad, who is the only guy on here who doesn't have his Twitter handle. Are, do you ever tweet? Are you on Twitter? Oh, yeah. I tweet all the time. What's it's, my name? Sam Abul Samad. Yeah, that's easy. Anybody can get it's, that. It's easy to find. Easy to find. Yeah. And I'm just going to look real quickly to see what your header is. It's not so not so complicated. That's Sam. No. Speed along in his, in his classic Miata, which he actually owns. Uh, he gets to drive a new car every week, but 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 when he's when he's alone at home, he's driving his Miata. Look That's that. right. That's nice. Will Bearings is the podcast at willbearings.media. Thank you, everybody, for joining us. We do Twit every Sunday afternoon right after the radio show. That's 2.30 Pacific, 5.30 Eastern, 2.30 UTC. Uh, I tell you that so you can watch the live stream if you choose, if you should desire at twit.tv slash live. There's live audio and video there. There are a variety of streams. Uh, if you're watching live, chat with us live. There's a couple of ways to do that. irc.twit.tv is free and open. Lots of great people in there. But if you're a member of our club Twit team, we also have a Discord. Whenever I'm uh, doing a live show, whenever we're doing a live show, we uh, turn on a Discord stage. And on many of our shows, we give people a chance to step up onto the stage, ask questions, uh, make comments, that kind of thing. We're, we're doing that now every week on Windows Weekly. Uh, we're doing it every once in a while on Twig. Um, the Club Twit is 
there's more information at twit.tv slash club twit. Seven bucks a month. Ad-free versions of all the shows. Uh, you get the Discord. You get access to the Discord, which is a lot of fun. Many of our hosts are in there. And you also get a special Twit Plus feed, which is all the, the good stuff we take out of the shows because we don't want to offend anybody. <laughs> Twit.tv slash club twit. On-demand versions of the shows are not just through the club twit. Of course, you can get them at our website, twit.tv. Uh, if you go to twit.tv and find This Week in Tech, you'll also notice some links there. The YouTube channel, every show we do has a YouTube channel. Uh, but there's also links to uh, various podcast applications, so it makes it easy to add it to Pocket Cast. Oh, let's let's show that. I forgot. There's other free ways to interact. There's our Twit forums at twit.community. Uh, there's our Mastodon instance at twit.social. You're also welcome to join those. Those are free and available to all. So we have lots of ways to interact, to participate in the community. I have to say, it's a really great community surrounding uh, the podcast here at Twit. Um, smart people, interesting people, so... The more you participate with them, the more fun you will have. But I am very glad that you watched this show. Thank you or listen. Thank you very much for being here. We'll see you next time. Another twit this is in the can. Amazing.